This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Firenze Fire chasing as hard as he can, and he's now coming at him. Firenze Fire gradually getting to seven trumpets. Here is the line. Firenze Fire wins the Jerome. He had to earn it to beat a tough seven trumpets. A 16 to go, and Silver Charm Freehouse with a late run on the outside. But Silver Charm's done enough to win. Silver Charm wins the San Vicente. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. At the eight pole, Steph being Steph. Midnight Bizu win the war, getting to third in the middle. It's Midnight Bizu taking up the lead for the 16th to go. Moving away from Steph being Steph and win the war. Midnight Bizu. Midnight Bisu scores by four lengths. It is Archangelo with the lead. Archangelo in front, trying to hold on for the final 50 yards. And it's Archangelo to win the test of the champion. It is Archangelo, and it is a monumental victory for trainer Jenna Antonucci. And what a month for jockey Javier Castellano. He won his first derby with Mage. He wins his first Belmont Stakes with Archangelo. Now, here's Mike Penna. Good morning once again, everyone, and welcome to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. It is once again post time for the show that launched a network, and it all comes your way right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, as always, happy to have you spending your Saturday morning with me on Sirius 162, XM 207, our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, and streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net, or wherever you access your podcasts. This week, the NTRA announced the nominees for the 2023 Moment of the Year Award. Among the 13 choices are Mage's win in the Kentucky Derby, Irad Ortiz winning seven consecutive races at Gulfstream in February, and Cody's Wish repeating in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. All good choices. But if you're talking about the singular moment of the year, the overwhelming favorite has to be trainer Jenna Antonucci becoming the first female trainer to win a Triple Crown race with Archangelo in the Belmont Stakes. Has to be, doesn't it? And I bring this up every year when I talk about the moment of the year. There is a huge, huge difference between the moment of the year and the race of the year or the top performance of the year. The moment should be something that defines the year when you look back on it. The one thing that comes to mind when you think about whatever year we're discussing. Last week, my poll question on this show asked you which moment you will remember most from 2023. And not so surprisingly, 49% of HRN Nation voted for Cody's Wish winning the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile for a second consecutive year. 38% of you voted for Jenna Antonucci winning the Belmont. 
and maybe I'm being a little too technical or rigid in defining the word moment. And maybe I'm making a case based on a technicality with the choices that were presented. But the choice for Cody's wish on the NTRA moment of the year ballot reads like this. Cody's wish thrills the Breeders' Cup crowd and his namesake, Cody Dorman, by winning the big-ass fans' Breeders' Cup dirt mile for the second consecutive year. The five-year-old son of Curlin, Edge Preakness winner, National Treasure for owner-breeder Godolphin. That, to me, indicates if you vote for that choice, you are choosing the race, the performance by Cody's Wish, as opposed to what, in my opinion, was actually the moment surrounding that race. They're two different things. To me, if this choice was worded to say the emotional post-race scene following the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile victory by Cody's Wish when his namesake Cody Dorman was surrounded by family, all with tears flowing from their eyes. That's the image I'm never going to forget. And that, to me, would be a better choice for the quote-unquote moment of the year than the race itself. Cody's Wish winning the Dirt Mile is probably the race of the year. I'm not sure many people would argue that. But I'm not sure if we're talking about the moment we're going to remember most from 2023 that Jenna Antonucci yelling and screaming and jumping up and down in her box at Belmont Park as she watched Archangelo barreling down the stretch to make history isn't the best choice for the moment of the year. Anyway, as Nick Zito would say, we're going to find out if I'm right or wrong when the winner is announced at the Eclipse Awards on January 25th. But I do think there is a huge difference between voting for the moment of the year and the performance or the race of the year. And that's also a topic I'm going to bring up with Dale and Tim in the final segment of today's show, I Ask the Answer, which comes your way at 10.30 Eastern. I'm also going to spend some time looking back on 2023 and ahead to 2024 with two-time Eclipse Award-winning trainer Brad Cox, who once again led all trainers in earnings last year, thanks in large part to his 12 grade one victories. That was a record for him too. And those accomplishments will surely have him in the mix for another Eclipse Award. But Brad's also going to saddle the morning line favorite drum roll, please, in today's Jerome Stakes at Aqueduct. And he's going to be here as my first Equine Forum guest of the new year when he joins me in just a few minutes at 8.15 Eastern. On Wednesday, you may have seen this news too, Michael Blowen, the man who founded Old Friends Retirement Facility in 2003, announced that he would be stepping down as president of the organization. That came as a surprise to me. I didn't see that one coming. Michael certainly deserves to step back and enjoy the fruits of his labor a little bit. He has worked tirelessly to build old friends. He's going to turn the reins over to his good friend, John Nicholson. And Michael has done so much for so many over the past two decades, both the humans and the equine participants in our game. And he's going to be here with me this morning to talk about his decision to step down and to share 
some of his his favorite memories over the years. We'll talk about some of his horses that are always going to stand out to him, but we'll talk about some of his memories from being part of old friends and the man who has been steering that ship for 20 years. That comes up at 835. You won't want to miss it. I'm also going to spend a little time talking about the opening of the 2024 Sam Houston race meet with Brian Pettigrew, who is the vice president and general manager of Texas Racing Operations for Penn Entertainment. Brian will be with me at 9 o'clock Eastern. That meet kicked off yesterday. And at 9.30 Eastern, I will bring you an extended conversation with jockey Drayden Van Dyke, who went public in a New Year's Day article written by Steve Anderson of the Daily Racing Forum, talking about his struggles with mental wellness, which led Drayden to step away from the game in October of last year. And many of you have heard me discuss jockey mental wellness with various riders over the past several months. And it's something that I'm passionate about. It's something that I think the industry needs to do a better job of addressing. And not just for jockeys either. Not just for jockeys. Everybody is dealing with something in life, right? And everybody in the racing industry, we always talk about the industry being a family. Well, if there are family members in your personal family that are dealing with something, you want to help them. Jockeys, trainers, owners, exercise riders, starting gate crew members, people who work at the racetracks in the offices. As a racing family, everybody is dealing with something. And I'm very passionate about the industry doing more to help its family members in 2024 and beyond. But jockeys certainly deal with an awful lot of things. You you don't see it. It doesn't manifest itself in what you see day in and day out. And it didn't for Drayden either. Because on the outside, it appeared as if Drayden had taken the bull by the horns and had the world at his fingertips. He was winning big races. He was was riding in a lot of big races. But on the inside, it was a much different battle that he was fighting. And He was extremely honest and candid in describing exactly what he was dealing with that led him to step away from the game in October of last year, even as it appeared to all of us on the outside looking in that he had it all together. And as you'll hear, a much different story for Drayden, and he will tell you the entire story coming up at 9.30 Eastern. It's a fantastic conversation. You won't want to miss that. Joe Christofek will join me at 10 Eastern for the Twin Spires Triple Play. Three races you'll want to keep an eye on later today, and bet at Twin Spires. Kurt Becker will take you on his stroll through racing history at 1020, and Dale and Tim will join me at 1030 Eastern for I Ask the Answer. Poll question today. Is it right or wrong to include international-based horses on Eclipse Award ballots? Pretty simple. Two choices. Do you think it's right? Do you think it's wrong? Is it right or wrong to include international-based horses on Eclipse Award ballots. You can go to at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook to let me know your thoughts on that particular topic. And I bring it up because the Eclipse Award finalists are going to be announced later today on FanDuel TV. And as a voter, we had to have all of our votes in by this past week. So the votes are now tallied. They're, they're closed. Again, the announcement coming out later today. But In some of the categories, I'll give you a couple of examples. The male turf category, 
you had Augusta Rodin, who was the winner of the Breeders' Cup Turf, and you had Breeders' Cup Mile winner, Master of the Seas. Both of those were choices for voters in the male turf category. Do you think that's right? Augusta Rodin, yeah, he, he beat the best we had here in the Breeders' Cup Turf. Master of the Seas <laughs> beat everybody in the Breeders' Cup Mile. But those were their only starts in the United States and even in North America for that matter. Do you do you like that? Do you like that we can include those horses? How about in Spiral in the female turf? Do you like that, that we can have European or foreign-based runners included in those eclipse ballot in those categories, if you will. So let me know your thoughts. Go to at HRN on Twitter. Go to Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. And if you don't do social media, email the show, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net. Now, I'm going to correct something I said a moment ago. I said Master of the Seas and Augusta Rodin. The, the Breeders' Cup was their only start in North America and the U.S. It was for Augusta Rodin. It was not for Master of the Seas. So... Maybe maybe you're in favor of having a, a threshold. Master of the Seas ran three times in North America. He won the Woodbine Mile in September, second beating a nose in the Turf Mile at Keeneland, and then wins the Breeders' Cup Mile by a nose. Maybe there's a threshold in terms of the number of starts that foreign-based runners have to have in the U.S. or North America. Maybe that's your opinion. Or maybe you think, no, that's great. doesn't matter. Like Augusta Rodin. He beat everybody. He had a great campaign in 2023 in Europe, too. He deserves to be on the ballot. So let me know your thoughts. Again, if you don't do social media, email me, Mike, at horseracingradio.net. But the poll question is, is it right or wrong to include international-based horses on Eclipse Award ballots? Right or wrong? You get two choices. You get to channel your inner Nick Zito here this morning and tell me if those, <laughs> that question is, is right or wrong. All right, when I come back, I will welcome multiple Eclipse Award-winning trainer Brad Cox to the program. Looking forward to that visit. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 Ponds with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile, the Grade 1 Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. 
You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Catching Freedom's going to get to the outside. He's being pumped upon to get going, but swings to the extreme outside as they come off the turn. Mystic Dan, Jess Steele is right there to tackle. Catching Freedom on the far outside. Informed Patriot getting bumped around at the rail. Jess Steele in front. Inside Mystic Dan, back to second. And Catching Freedom is finding his best stride now. And Catching Freedom and Christian Torres racing clear. He kicks off his year with 10 Kentucky Derby points. Catching freedom over Jess Steele and Form Patriot photo for fourth, Gettysburg Address, and Mystic Dad. Welcome back to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on this Saturday morning. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you along for the ride right up until 11 a.m. Eastern. One of three horses for trainer Brad Cox in last week's Smarty Jones Stakes at Oaklawn. One by Catching Freedom under Christian Torres and now as you heard, 10 Kentucky Derby points to his credit. He now moves one step closer to a spot in the starting gate on the first Saturday in May. I'll get a chance to catch up with Brad here momentarily when he joins me. What a year Brad Cox had in 2023, and there are going to be several voters who no doubt are going to have him in the mix for another Eclipse Award this season. Bill Mott also going to get a lot of respect in that category. I would imagine Chad Brown. Maybe Todd Pletcher, Steve Asmussen going to garner some votes. But what Brad Cox did in 2023 was a bit different for him. It was a different approach with his operation. He won a lot of races and a lot of really big races too. I told you at the, the top of the show that not only did he lead all trainers in total earnings again in 2023, but he also added 12 grade one victories to his 2023 campaign. That is a record for the Brad Cox operation. Wonderful stuff, and Brad is with me now. Brad, good morning, my friend. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? Good, good. I was just sitting here bragging on you as we were waiting to get you on the phone. Uh, (laughs) I probably didn't. Uh, I hope it wasn't too much. <laughs> no, not at all. Man, you you win 12 grade 1 races in a year. You you set the earnings record for, you know, surpass all trainers in earnings in 2023. Um, man, what's the secret? How do you keep this thing just chugging in the right direction? Well, great help and great owners and uh, you know, owners allow us to place the horses where they need to be and you know, uh, shipping around a lot of that has to do with, you know, getting where we need to be and in the right spots. And, um, you know, there, there's so many things. It's not just one thing. There's so many, uh, things that go into, to, uh, you know, having a stable, this size and managing it. And it's, uh, and it's not, believe me, it's just, it's not me. It's, um, it's, it's a great team we have in place. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. How many horses does Brad Cox have in training now? We have about 140 right now. That's between, um, Belmont, uh, Turfway, Training Center in Louisville, Trackside, uh, Oaklawn, and, and Fairgrounds. Well, you know, you make it look easy, Brad. And I, I say this about not just you, but Todd and Steve Asmussen and everybody who has large stables. Somehow, some way, you guys make this thing look easy. Uh, <laughs> I listen, uh, I, I don't think – I think the biggest thing with it, it's nonstop. There are days where, uh, you know, it might – it's obviously a little bit easier than others. But most days, you know, they can be challenging and, and – uh, uh, you know, obviously we're very busy on the weekends. I always feel like our weekend, if there's such thing on the racetrack, is like a Monday or a Tuesday. And, um, 
you know, it, it is, it is demanding. And, uh, but you know, listen, I think all, all the top guys do love it. Uh, they enjoy it and, um, you know, it, it's rewarding. Um, but it is challenging. And, uh, there's, I wouldn't say there's anything easy about it. I'd say there's days that are not as challenging as others, but, uh, for the most part, it's, it's pretty much, uh, all out every day. Tell me about some of the most rewarding moments for you in that stellar 2023 Ooh. season. Well, number one, and I mean, it's easy to say this. It was, it was obviously idiomatic. I mean, just with, with the season she had and, and I just, it, it kept getting better. And you kept thinking, I kept thinking to myself, like, you know, how good is this Philly? Like, you know, um, you know, when, when she ran the ruffian at Belmont and I was always, I always felt pretty confident she would be a really good horse on the dirt. And when she ran the, the ruffian, it, it was, it was a, uh, you know, a big run from her. She was second. She was, um, you know, great to stake place. But when she come back and won the Shawnee at Churchill, it was like, wow. I mean, that like you can't can't really get any better than this. And uh, Garrett and myself had talked it over last winter to to try to get her to the Dell Cap. We just really thought that, that distance would suit her that mile three sixteenths. And you know, off the Shawnee, we went there. She was able to win it with a a really tough trip. It's like you know that this is this is it. I mean, we we've we've done is as well as, as um, you know, we expected to do. And oftentimes in, in racing, that does not work out. The dreams are always bigger than the, the actual reality or what happens in the end. Uh, but for her, it was like, okay, mission accomplished. But, you know, what she was doing is like, wow, I mean, she deserves the opportunity to go to Saratoga and run in a grade one. And, you know, to do that, then win, it was like, wow, this is, this is, this is a dream. And then for her to rattle off two more, um, the second half of the season was just unbelievable, and hopefully on our way to a championship uh, um, honor in, in the Eclipse. But um, I, I think she was definitely the, the highlight. Um, she was a horse, too, that we had to give time to after her three or the beginning of her three-year-old season. So, you know, it definitely uh, feel like we, all, we, we made the right moves with her throughout the season. I loved your post-race interview with NBC after she won the Breeders' Cup Distaff because I'm I'm big on defending your player, right? And you really mm-hmm. did come to her defense. You said, listen, that should have locked up, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that should have locked up the championship honors for the, for the top older mayor in the country. And then you went on to say maybe even a higher Eclipse Award referring to Horse of the Year. And, man, I love that because it – you know, she's a filly that when you look at what she did, or a mare, I should say, that when you look at what she did, she deserves consideration for Horse of the Year. Whether she'll get it or not is a, a whole other matter. But, man, what a campaign. But I love the way you defended her. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it was it was, um, it was was an unbelievable year from start to finish. And, you know, I, I listen, I I was told this five, six years ago when I started getting better horses and had Monomoy girls. Listen, at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty evident moving forward that racing in January, February, and March, and April probably have zero to do with winning an Eclipse Award. Championships are basically made through the Breeders' Cup. Um, and if a horse doesn't run the Breeders' Cup, there was obviously, and they win the championship, there was somebody obviously that didn't step up. But really, racing as a whole has become, in in regards to winning Eclipse Awards and championship honors, it's made through the Breeders' Cup. They're made the second half of the year. It's not really... People forget about what you've done in January, February, and March. Now um, that that's that's too far removed, and too many things happen. So, uh, you know, listen. I think if you're if you're trying to develop champions and stuff, uh, you know, what what you what you do the first 
third of the year, first half of the year really doesn't mean much anymore. Um, and, and that's true. I, I, I really just have a hard time seeing horses or, or seeing you know, Eclipse Awards given to horses that, that, that have a big first half of the year. If somebody steps up the second half, they're going to take it home. So they're definitely made the second half of the year and, and um, at the Breeders' Cup and, you know, Philly like idiomatic. I mean, you know, tremendous year. Um, you know, love the path we took. Um, I thought it was, as people say, old school. It was a very old school path to um, what I would say would be a, hopefully a championship season. Yeah, and she is proof positive of what you're talking about with the second half of the season, if you will, having more weight than the first half of the season. Nobody was talking about idiomatic early in the season, even though she was winning greatest stakes races. The focus was on Nest. It was on Clary Air. And, Brad, it really wasn't until she beat those those top mares in the personal ensign in August at Saratoga, the end of August, that we started to say, all right, Maybe she's for real, but I think even going into the spinster stakes in her next start, there were people that still needed to see her do it again to prove herself. Yeah, for sure. I I, I agree with that, and, uh, you know, she, she stepped up and beat another group, good group of fillies at Keeneland and then, you know, out to California, and I honestly never thought she'd be quite that close to that hot of a pace in California. Uh, Chad Silly ran a big race that day. We set right off of her, and, and it worked out in our favor. But, uh, you know, she, she she brought it every time this year, and uh, it, was, it was a huge year. Yep. Yeah, big year. Outside of idiomatic, what other moments will stand out to you? Uh, you know, I, um, probably just because I watched this horse training, I've got him on my mind. But Angel of Empire, he's back galloping going to return to the work tab very soon but you know the Kentucky Derby is always very special to me and you know watching him you know range up at the eighth pole and get into position and you know from from the quarter pole to the eighth pole I thought we had a shot to win the Kentucky Derby this year and uh you know at the eighth pole he kind of maybe just leveled off a little bit really could tell he wasn't going to get there and you know that that's a moment that that um you know I, I can remember it you know very very well so that's that obviously something that that stands out as well. Yeah, and the first Friday in May is always special too. And you had a good one there in wet paint. She, you know, she showed up every time you let her over too. Yeah, yeah. No, she she um, you know, set maybe a little bit close to the, to the pace that that day in the Kentucky Oaks. But now she was a good filly that ended up getting a Grade One there at Saratoga, and uh, hoping to get her back going this year um, at some point can't wait to see what you do for an encore here in 2024 talking with brad cox here on the horse racing radio network brad last week you send out catching freedom to win the smarty jones stakes and now he begins his quest for the first saturday in may talk to me about him and some of the other top three-year-olds that you have in the barn uh you know he's a good colt he's not a real flashy workhorse um he's a medium-sized horse put together very very well um and I, you know, I think that he's one that's obviously like most are going to get better the more he does it. We're probably going to look at either the Risen Star, um, or even maybe going to the Rebel with him. Um, not certain exactly which race we'll we'll run him in next, but we did ship him back to the fairgrounds. He, he did come out of the race very, very good. Very happy with the way he physically looks and how he's moving. We've actually got him back to the track and. He's moving great. So um, I think he's one that's going to improve, and I think he can handle the distance of a mile and an eighth and even a mile and a quarter. So we're excited about him moving forward. Um, obviously, Nash was third in the um, gun runner. I think, you know, he's a very good colt. He had his first work back. He'll either run in Luck Compt or the Southwest. Uh, Timberlake's back training. Um, he'll return to the work tab here in a couple weeks. 
excited about him as well. So, um, and I, honestly, we have some unraced colts that uh, I'm excited about. I'm not certain they're Derby horses, but they would be horses I probably nominate to the Triple Crown. Um, so, I, I think uh, by the time it's said and done, we'll have a good group. Hopefully, headed to the Kentucky Derby. Have you learned some things over the past few years going down the road to the Kentucky Derby? Do you, do you change the way you get a horse ready for the first Saturday in May, or, or has it remained the same? I think getting them ready is the same. I think that I've learned over the last probably three, four years that, um, it, you know, you, you can get a little bit of a late start. Sozos was a horse that didn't didn't start till later on. He was able to get there. Um, but but I, th- I think that's the biggest thing I've learned. I mean, you, you can't get in a hurry with them, but in regards to getting them to the, actually their first race, but, you know, if, if all goes well and they perform well, you know, there's the opportunity for, for um, um, some of these Colts to jump up and, and be uh, players on the Derby Trail. Yeah, and later today, drum roll, please. The even money morning line favorite in the Jerome uh, will will be your entrant in there. One mile on the main track at Aqueduct. Tell me a little bit more about drum roll, please. A PA bread that we're cutting back to, to one mile. Um, he, he's doing well. He's doing actually very, very well. I think it's a good spot. He is drawn inside, but I think he fits with the group. And uh, Javier's rode him very well his last couple of runs, and hopefully with a good trip today, he can work out a trip from that one hole. We should be good. Brad Cox. Brad, I know you're working here, and, and I always appreciate the time. So uh, continued success. We'll talk again later down the road, but uh, go get him, my friend. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk soon. All right, Brad Cox here on HRRN. Yeah, his earnings in 2023 for his horses, $30,947,677. That led all trainers, and I mentioned those 12 grade ones. Of course, idiomatic, a big part of that, that equation. Um, but he's he's loaded again coming into 2024, and we'll see if uh, there's no reason to think that that success is not going to continue for Brad Cox, but we'll see where it takes him. Um, I know he would love to, to win the Kentucky Derby. Yes, he has a, a win on his resume with Mandaloon, who ended up getting the victory via disqualification. But um, I know he would love to see his horse cross the finish line in front on the first Saturday of May, and that's still a big goal of his going forward. All right, time now for your Legends of the Turf segment, a short commercial break. And when I come back, I'll welcome old friends founder Michael Blowen to the program to share some of his favorite memories from the past two decades being part of that wonderful organization. That's next after your Legends of the Turf. In early August of 1919, Samuel D. Riddle's big chestnut two-year-old man of war captured his sixth straight race and continuing on unbeaten carried 130 pounds, unheard of, by the way, of current racing practice to that win in the $10,000 United States Hotel Stakes at Saratoga. The speed and stamina of Big Red had already become legendary, but there were horsemen who had reservations as to his ability to sustain his remarkable speed over a distance of ground. And though self-same doubters felt there would be a real test in his forthcoming scheduled races, the Sanford and the hopeful when he would face the very best two-year-olds in training at the time. The son of fair play was a veritable giant standing better than 16 hands and weighing in at nearly 1,100 pounds. He looked more like a four-year-old rather than a two-year-old. Oh, there were challengers to his credentials, all right. Trainer Jimmy Rowe had two in a wild air and upset, although Man of War had whipped upset in the aforementioned United States Hotel. And then there was Miss Jemima. On Saturday, August 13, 1919, seven horses answered the call to post in the Sanford Memorial. 
One of the meeting's largest crowds, better than 20,000, were on hand to view the attempt of the great riddle two-year-old to remain unscathed. John Madden had had Captain Alcock in the field, and the most likely contenders were Golden Broom at 2-1 and Upset, who was 7-1. Man of War was the post-time odds-on choice with the betting public at 1-2. Golden Broom was the inside horse with Frankie Ambrose in the irons. Man of War was in post-6 with his regular rider Johnny Loftus in the saddle. Golden Broom acted up considerably both in the post parade and at the start, showing both his nervousness and his greenness. But when the flag dropped at the start, Golden Broom was away winging. By the time the field had gone a bare sixteenth of a mile, Ambrose had the speedy youngster two lengths in front. Upset Harry Payne Whitney's fine juvenile, who was also away like a rocket, and settled into second place with Donna Connor third. Man of War had gotten away poorly, highly unusual for the riddle standard bearer, almost being left at the post. By the time Loftus had Big Red settled into stride, he was sixth as the field hit the clubhouse turn. By the time the field swung off the turn into the stretch run, Golden Broom was still winging away clearly in front. Man of War had improved his position to third, cutting down the margin with every stride. It was Golden Brown by a length, upset by an open two, and Man of War third, the rest of the field had given up the chase in mid-stretch with Man of War second. Upset had Man of War by a length and a half at the 16th pole, and Loftus dug in on Big Red asking Nicole for everything he had. 100 feet from the wire, the margin was three parts of a length, but Man of War was running out of real estate. Upset was hanging on tenaciously. As they hit the wire, it was Upset, the number four horse of Harry Payne Whitney, Still a neck in front of Man of War who was gaining slowly. Golden Brown had barely enough left to hang on for third. Captain Alcock finished fourth. The horse appropriately named Upset had indeed lived up to his moniker and forever from that day on became part of a thoroughbred lore, legend, and mystique as the only horse ever to defeat Man of War. It all happened in the Sanford at Saratoga, August 13, 1919. A great moment in thoroughbred racing. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 Stallion roster at Adina Springs North offers exciting opportunities for breeders. Tap into the famed Leafards Delta family with American Guru, a winner over a mile on turf in 132.09. His sire produced classic winners Empire Maker, Grindstone, and Red Bullet, and his first runners are on track in 2024. Shaman Ghost is Ghost Sapper's best son, a multiple grade one winner of $3.8 million. His first crop of Ontario sired runners start in 2024. Adina Stallion's silent name is the only son of Sunday Silence at Stud in North America and Canada's champion sire three years in a row. Signature Red is the only son of Bernstein at Stud in Canada and the best value stud in the country. And Dynaformer's heir, Point of Entry, is Canada's number one sire by progeny earnings, turf sired, and average earnings per runner on turf in 2023. Learn more at adinastallions.com. 
You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. And Silver Charm has taken the lead as the field approaches the top of the stretch, but his arch-rival Freehouse is right there to his outside. The stage is set. Touch gold swings into action on the far outside. They're at the top of the stretch. It is Silver Charm unwavering, holding on tenaciously to the lead. Freehouse is right there with him. Touch gold driving on the outside in the final furlong. Silver Charm holding the lead. Here comes Touch Gold and Freehouse. Silver Charm has lost the lead, and Touch Gold will deny him the crown by a heartbreaking half length. Welcome back to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brad Cox in the previous segment. Looking ahead to the next segment and my conversation with Michael Blowen, who I think caught a lot of people off guard, myself included, this past week when he made the announcement that he would be stepping down from his leadership role at Old Friends, an organization which he founded and started uh, back 20 years ago in 2003. As a matter of fact, the very same year that the Horse Racing Radio Network began and my first year on radio. So we've kind of grown things together and it's been wonderful to watch Michael and all the hard work he's put in and the wonderful work he's done to help horses and to help people in the thoroughbred industry. And he is with me now here on HRRN. Michael, it is a pleasure. Good morning. Mike, always great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. All right, let's start with the announcement. What led to this decision? I, I didn't see this one coming, my friend. Well, well, you know, over the last couple of years, I get older and older. I'll be, I'll be uh, 77 next week. And, um, and I, uh, you know, you start to think about things differently. In fact, I'm, I'm working on my memoir. It's called Final Furlong. And it's, it's like when you get old, you, you're like you're turning for home. And you know that you can see the finish line. <laughs> you can't put it off any longer. And, and so it's the most important part of the race because, you know, you've got to get it done before you hit the finish line or else uh, it doesn't matter. And so like the horses, it's the most exciting part of my life. I hope it's one of the most exciting parts of their lives and, and, and all that. And so I could see this. And over the past couple of years, I've been kind of keeping it in the back of my mind. And I'd meet somebody and I'd say, well, could this person, how would I feel about this person taking over or that person? And, and, and frankly, you know, I would get these people that I thought would be really good at it. And it would be like 85% or 90%, but I never got the one that gave me full confidence that they understood what we were trying to do and would keep that going and then could take it to another level. So you're like going from a, a claimer at Suffolk up to a grade one. And, and at this point, uh, you know, old friends is a grade one and it needed a, a person that could handle it, the grade one pressures. And um, one day I was talking to my friend, very good friend. And we go back 20 years and, uh, you know, John Nicholson, and, and I met John years ago when I went to the horse park and saw Forgo and Bold Forbes, and we'd been friends for a long, long time. And we were talking one day a few months ago, and and I asked him if he would be interested, and he said he would. And I was really surprised and amazed and gratified. And the more conversations we had over the uh, over the last few months, every time I had another conversation with him, I was more and more confident that not only could he do the job, but he would take uh, he would take it to a whole take old friends to a whole whole new level and make it uh, and uh, and help fulfill his promise. And I, I I'm very 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 grateful to him. And and now I'm just going to give tours and stay out of the way and, 
and bet my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's a. I think John is a wonderful choice. I, I knew John, uh, got to know John when he was working as the executive director at the Kentucky Horse Park years ago, um, and I, I always was impressed when I would sit down and talk with him. And I, I do think you're right, Michael. I think he's somebody that understands your mission and what you have built over the years and, and tried to accomplish and have accomplished. And I think he's a, a wonderful choice. And let me just say this. I do hope your final furlong is a hell of a lot longer than an eighth of a mile. I hope it's about 50 <laughs> miles long. And I hope you have plenty of time <laughs> to finish you. that book. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's still when they bring, you know, you get the, when we, you know, we just got channel maker and we just got red Knight and, and they're in a paddock together, which is so unusual. They race against each other eight times, and they're best friends. And to watch them play every day in the front yard and be able to feed Silver Charm as Mrs. Pastures crumbs uh, every day out the back door. You know, people say, "Are you going to take a vacation?" I go, "Not a chance." I said, "Why would I take a vacation? Where do I, where would I rather be than exactly where I am?" And and the answer is no place. Michael, turn the clock back. 21 years to 2003 what led michael blowen to want to start a retirement facility like old friends well you know when i was covering the movies at the boston globe i uh, mike it was like I, I i saw the way people were around movie stars and they got a thrill around movie stars and i i never with 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 a few exceptions i never really got that way but I really was that way around the horses, and that's why that's why I ended up in Kentucky in the first place because both Forbes and Forbo were at the Kentucky Horse Park, and I always had it in the back of my mind that these these horses are great celebrities. But then, you know, when they when they were done racing and breeding, they would kind of like disappear, and 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 I and I thought it was a tremendous resource. And then, as luck would have it, when I took the, the buyout at the Globe, my wife. You know, Diane White was a columnist there, and and uh, our son lives in Australia, and our parents had died. I said to Diane, I said, you know what? The the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation offered me this job as operations director, and I, I have no idea exactly what this job is, but it could be fun. And uh, and so we came here, and I was the operations director at the TRF, and I was very grateful. I learned so much uh, in that in that job with the TRF. And I did that for a year and a half, but I always thought that the that stallions in particular uh, were being ignored as superstars. And I thought, well, gee whiz, if we did the same thing that the horse park does on a on on a larger scale and concentrated totally on thoroughbreds, you know, we might be able to steal that idea from them. And then I stole the name of old friends from Barbara Livingston's fabulous books, and now people think that Barbara named her books after the barn. <laughs> anyway. Um, I stole all the ideas. I just, I just put them, put them together, and I thought for sure it would take off a lot sooner than it did. Uh, and I think if, if somebody else was managing it back then, it probably would have. But it, it didn't, and now it's evolved, and we have the greatest people working at the farm, both in, in management and, uh, and in the office. But, you know, these guys, they were out there this morning at quarter of six, pouring down cold rain. They're out there at quarter of six this morning feeding these horses in the dark. And we have, we have the, we finally put together the World Series team. We're just, uh, just fabulous. And then to get John to come in and manage this uh, teams like, you know, Red Auerbach coming back to run the Celtics, you know? Yeah. Michael, I mentioned 
as I was introducing you that you have truly done so much to help so many in the game, the equine stars, and certainly uh, several people uh, on the human side of things too. There have been a lot of people who have benefited from old friends over the years. What are what are some of the things when you think about the past twenty years that you're you're most proud of? Well, I really like the idea that one of the things I didn't realize, and but I realize it now, is with all the consternation and and, dis, and divisiveness in the country now, we're like one of the first, first only places in the whole country where people come in there nice all the time. Yeah. You know, politics don't matter; nothing matters. All that matters is that they get to feed carrots to Silver Charm or. And, and and it's become like this really kind of oasis in the middle of uh, all the craziness. And I, I never realized that that would happen. So that that's one of the side benefits that's really, really important. Um, I, the thing that really impresses me is how the variety of people that these horses attract, from little kids that just want to feed a horse a carrot or play with little Silver Charm, my little miniature horse, or... or uh, People that will come and and show me on their phone some ticket they cashed in the pick six because one of our horses won a big race. <laughs> we had a guy come to the farm who had the who had the uh, who had the uh, the exacta and the trifecta when Giacomo won, and uh, he said he, he bought himself a brand new a brand new Mercedes and a house in Fort Myers. <laughs> Beautiful. So. It's the, the 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 people that that it's introduced me to has been invaluable, and and I've made so many friends and and seen so many people, and and really, I mean, you know, I never thought when I was when I was walking hots for uh, for Carlos Figueroa at the fairs and listening to Pete Coolis do the race calls, which was <laughs> fabulous, um, that I would end up. Uh, having Silver Charm in my yard and having Bob Dapper call me in the middle of the day and ask me if everything was okay. <laughs> um, I mean, it's very strange. I mean, I remember bringing up a horse for Carlos in 1997 on Derby Day when uh, Silver Charm won the Derby, and I was trying to get this horse into the race and get him saddled up and get him going so I could run in and watch watch the race on TV, and now Silver Charm's in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Silver Charm, Touch Gold. We heard the call coming out of the commercial break of Touch Gold winning the Belmont in 1997, denying Silver Charm a triple crown, and now they're side-by-side side at Old Friends, which is really cool. I know you're you're thrilled to go out there and look at them every single morning. Talk about some of the other horses, Michael, that over the years are always going to hold a special place in your heart. And I say that knowing that they're all special, but I'm sure there are plenty of horses that are no longer with us that have been at Old Friends that, boy, are always going to be with you in spirit. Well, you know, I have two horses' names on my belt. Uh, Marketry, who is one of my favorite horses ever. Bobby Frankel trained him, and when Bobby died, he left us, oh, I don't know, he left us almost $300,000, and he left us 95% of his trophies. Um, but anyway, Marketry as a personality was such a great horse. He used to run with me every day. We'd go out in the paddock, he'd let me play with him, and he would give me a big head start in the races and then it's the first time i ever heard a horse laugh marketer would go like this he'd go (laughs) 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 i don't think you're gonna win and he'd do the same thing every time he'd wait and wait and wait and then at the last minute he'd take off and he'd go right by me and he'd turn around and face me when the race was over and he'd rear up and i'm telling you it was the thrill of a lifetime so his name's on my belt and the other one is sunshine forever um mr galbraith's horse and raised the darby dan and 
And he was like the first horse that had finished his stallion career over in Japan. And he was the first one I wanted to bring home from Japan. So when, when he came home from Japan and Silver Charm came back from Japan and they ended up at Old Friends, was the, you know, so many thrills. I can't even describe how, how exciting it was and how thrilling it was and how gratifying. And now, you know, they're, now they're grateful just if I give them some, some, uh, some carrots and, and people come to the farm and get to tell you, tell you the story. And, of course, Mark Tree and Sunshine Forever have passed away, but there's all these horses in the in the future that'll come. I mean, let's take Channel Maker and and Red Knight, two of our latest acquisitions. You know, they raced against each other eight times. They were long distance surf horses. They retired in perfect condition. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed is the horses that we have at the farm that won big races, sometimes stakes races, when they were nine and ten. So I fed uh, those two. You know. Uh, rated R superstar that they all got time off. They all got their, they all got their vacations and they came in in perfect shape and they retired. All of them retired perfectly, perfectly sound. But the idea that they raced against each other eight different times all over. And, uh, and now they're in the same paddock together and they're best friends and they, they became instant friends and to watch them have fun every day and run around and play. And they eat together. They, they drink their water together. they, they're synchronized eaters when it comes to eating the grass and the hay. I mean, they do everything together, and it's uh, it's just very gratifying to see a whole different uh, aspect of, of these great thoroughbreds. Visiting with Michael Blowen, who will be stepping down now as the president of the organization he founded, Old Friends. You can go to oldfriendsequine.org to learn more and to support them, and please continue to do so. You heard Michael say earlier, he's not going anywhere. He'll still be there to greet you with a smile and take you around and show you the horses, and that's you know at the core what Old Friends is all about. And, Michael, I, I have to tell you, as I was getting ready for the conversation, I went back through the Old Friends website, and I started looking through some of the horses that you've had, and there are plenty over the years that are no longer with us. And the thing that struck me is as I was going through reading some of the names from Alphabet Soup to Zippy Chippy, um, each of those horses or many of the horses that are no longer with us that formerly resided at Old Friends, they brought back so many memories when I looked at their pictures and saw their names and you know, I think that's really what resonates with so many racing fans around the world when they think of old friends, the memories that those horses created for us throughout their racing careers. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's like what you do, Mike, with, with Pete Coolis and the, and the equine form here. They, uh, you know, listening to those replays of those yeah. races and listening to Pete tell the stories, it's just, it's just fabulous. Yeah, and in some ways, because, we're, you know, we, uh, we're very fortunate. Mrs. Abercrombie's foundation donated a half a million dollars to old friends to redo our barn. And we're in the midst of getting that taken care of. And, and uh, one of the aspects of that is we're going to have a kiosk in there so people will be able to push a button and watch these horses races. Uh, oh, that's cool. Whatever horse on the farm. So, and uh, G.D. Hieronymus is helping us with that and, it, and it's going to be beautiful we've got big screens and also i thought you know we're going to get the internet in there and i'm hoping that sometime we'll be able to have handicapping seminars during keeneland and just open it up and, and have bobby frankel's trophies on display uh i i'm just it, it's just it's, it's going to be a lot of fun i can't imagine a better place to retire to <laughs> Yeah, yeah i mean you have done as i said so much for so many michael and now it's time for you to step back and relax and enjoy being part of old friends. And I, I'm sure that that's something you have tried to do over the years, but now you really get to enjoy being around the horses and greeting people. And I know that's what you truly love. 
Yeah, it's been it's been it's been great, Mike, and I think it'll continue to be be, be great until John fires me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. But Michael, listen, uh, all the best, my friend. I really appreciate you taking a trip down memory lane with me here this morning, and uh, continued success with old friends uh, well beyond this final furlong. Oh, great, Mike. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Come by and see us anytime. Will do, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Michael Blowen here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. I mean, what a inspirational person he is for so many in the industry. And, again, the lives that he has touched through old friends over the past 20 years is quite remarkable. So uh, congratulations to Michael. Stop out and see him. Again, he'll still be there to give tours and to greet you when you come out. Stop out and see him at all the old friends facilities, including in Georgetown, Kentucky. When I come back, it is time for this week's edition of Calling All Three-Year-Olds, presented by Spendthrift, the first edition of that countdown for 2024, and I'll get you ready for hour number two. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Fans, world-class racing is underway at spectacular Santa Anita, so come join the fun as we move into the new year. First post time Saturday and Sunday is at 12 noon, with admission gates opening at 10 a.m. Three-year-olds take center stage this weekend. The Grade 2 $200,000 San Vicente highlights Saturday's card, and on Sunday, three-year-old Phillies go seven furlongs in the Grade 3 Santa Inez. Horse players, check out our new wagering menu that includes the traditional pick six with a $1 minimum, and this week marks the return of the Coast to Coast Pick 5, a $1 minimum wager with a low 15% takeout that combines races from both Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park. Additionally, our popular all-turf Pick 3 is back with a $3 minimum showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new dollar minimum trifectas and rolling Pick 3s with bigger payouts the order of the day. Santa Anita, it's the great race place. Joe Buck and John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather back, back, back. She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. 
Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They're all in line. And they're off. Spendthrift Farm presents Calling All Three-Year-Olds with Bobby Newman. With the Breeders' Cup in the rearview mirror, we now focus our attention toward the up-and-coming three-year-olds. Several Kentucky Derby hopefuls already have valuable qualifying points, led by Fierceness. He earned 30 points for his Breeders' Cup juvenile win. But there were also some interesting races for the newly turned three-year-olds this past Monday. At Oaklawn Park, the road to the Arkansas Derby and possibly the Kentucky Derby began with the Smarty Jones Stakes. Brad Cox's catching freedom was exiting two nice efforts routing at Churchill and was sent off the solid 8-5 to five favorite. He settled near the back of the pack early before advancing wide on the far turn and powering home to draw away by two and a half lengths. He tallied 10 Kentucky Derby points for his efforts and could show up next in Oakland Southwest Stakes on January 27th or the Rebel on February 24th. At Gulfstream Park, the road to the Florida Derby began with the one-mile Mucho Macho Man Stakes. Christoph Clement's Otello looked good in a hard-fought maiden score at Aqueduct in his debut, and the betters bet him down to the 8-5 favorite. He sat inside and was shuffled to last in the six-horse field before finding a seam mid-stretch and getting up to win in the nick of time. Look for him to make up for lost time next out as the Mucho Macho Man somehow is not a Kentucky Derby points qualifier, despite horses like Lord Miles, Simplification, and Sole Valante all using this race on their way toward the first Saturday in May in the past few years. The Jerome Stakes at Aqueduct is the three-year-old spotlight this weekend. The one-turn mile drew a field of five, including drum roll, please. He's coming off a nice third-place finish in the highly-rated Remsen last month. I'll be back with this week's top five list right after this word from Spendthrift. Cyberknife was a very talented horse from day one. Fast horse, able to carry it around two turns. Looks a tremendous amount. Light gunrunner, same ability and talent. Holds the track record in the Haskell. He won it in impressive fashion, beating a very good group of horses. Excited about him passing on his durability, his soundness, and his talent. He could definitely be a breed shaping stallion. Multiple grade one winner Cyberknife standing at Spendthrift. This week's top five list of Derby contenders looks like this. Number five is locked. The Breeders' Futurity champ ran well when third in the Breeders' Cup. Looks like distance is his friend. Number four, Dornock. The full brother to 2023 Derby champ Mage was tenacious in his Remsen win. Number three, Sierra Leone. Extremely green in the stretch of the Remsen. He's a big talent who just needs to figure things out. Number two is Fierceness. The Breeders' Cup champ was about as impressive as it gets, planning for the Holy Bullet Gulfstream on February 3rd for his three-year-old debut. And number one, Nisos. The Baffert trainee will need a barn change to earn derby points, but there's no question he's uber-talented. That's your Calling All Three-Year-Old segment presented by Spendthrift, the Breeders' Farm. 
And that segment brought to you by Spendthrift. You'll hear it each and every week through the Kentucky Derby here in 2024. A quick update for you on the poll question before I tell you what's ahead in our number two. I'm asking you, is it right or wrong to include international-based horses on Eclipse Award ballots? Should they be among the choices, even if they only have one start here in the U.S.? And so far, 56% of you saying, no, it is wrong to do so. 44% saying, yeah, it's right. Uh, Tom in St. Louis Writes into the show, he said, racing is a global business. The Eclipse Awards are for the best performances in the USA. If a horse makes an earth-shattering race, beating all others in the division, they should be the champion, even if they come from overseas. So uh, if you don't do social media, you can email the show, mike at horseracingradio.net, and let me know your thoughts on that particular question. And I bring it up because of the fact that there are, as there are every season, uh, horses that have had one start in the U.S., albeit a winning one on a major stage that are European-based or foreign-based horses that are included among the candidates in certain categories for the Eclipse Awards, and I want to know your thoughts. Is it right or wrong? All right, coming up next, you're going to hear from Brian Pettigrew, who will begin our number two. Brian is the vice president and general manager of Texas Racing Operations for Penn Entertainment. He's going to be here to look ahead to the Sam Houston race meet, which began last night, and a conversation with Drayden Van Dyke coming up at 9.30 Eastern, talking about his struggles with mental wellness that led him to step away from the game last October. He's making a comeback now. It's a fantastic conversation, very candid. He held nothing back, so stay tuned for that. All ahead in hour number two, right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back. Hour two of three here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The Equine Forum presented every week by our friends at Twin Spires. And I mentioned what you can look forward to coming up here in hour number two. Well, hour three at 10 o'clock Eastern begins with the Twin Spires Triple Play. And Joe Christofek will be here to give you three races you can watch and wager later today. But just make sure you're doing it at Twin Spires 10:20. Kurt Becker will take you on his stroll through racing history. That is a great story about the Nick Zito-trained Sun King. And at 10:30, I ask they answer with Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin. They will both be with me to debate some of the hottest topics in the game today. And those topics include several as they pertain to the Eclipse Awards. The Eclipse Award finalists set to be announced later today on FanDuel TV. Uh, so we'll know the finalists in each of those categories. But I'll spend time with Dale and Tim at the end of the show sharing our thoughts on some of those, including a new segment called Lock or Not. Are some of those individuals which we think are locks in certain categories truly a lock or not? And Dale and Tim will have an opinion on those as well. All right, well, I mentioned that Sam Houston kicked off their race meet uh, last night, and it was spectacular. And Brian Pettigrew is the vice president and GM of Texas Racing Operations for Penn Entertainment. He's with me now. Brian, good morning, my friend. Happy opening weekend. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having us, and uh, good morning to you. Yeah, looking forward to this meet. It's always exciting when a new meet gets uh, gets underway. 
Um, but, you know, looking ahead to some of the, the key dates, you know, January 27th is the Houston Racing Festival. That's always a big deal. And there are others. But I noticed that there is something called a prime rib Fridays at Sam Houston. <laughs> and, man, there was a video of the prime rib being sliced on the Sam Houston Twitter page. And, if folks, if you haven't seen it, go back and look. Brian, that looked delicious. I'm all in. Oh, we, we you know, uh we've started that this, uh, this season and, uh, we've already gotten a lot of comments. A lot of folks last night were coming up telling us how good it was. And so, uh, it's fun. You know, we, um, start our, our meet and we run through, uh, the end of, uh, June, June after a quarter horse meet, but, you know, we, uh, uh, excited to have fans back in the building and, and live racing. We had a ton of families there last night and it's kind of an eye opener for me. Cause I just, Came back to Houston uh, this past summer and uh, uh, took over operations here at Sam Houston and over Tava Park over in San Antonio. And it was just fun to have a, a great crowd. Uh, we had live music after the races last night. You can also see that on our social media. Uh, and so it was just it was a good evening, and we're looking forward to good uh, thoroughbred meet. We may have gotten our first look at a budding star on the jockey side of things last night at Sam Houston, too. Another Asmussen making headlines with Eric Asmussen winning the first race in the, in his first race of his career. Pretty cool stuff. It was cool. Just, and, and I just, uh, went down for the first race. Wasn't really paying attention to what, what connections were there. And I saw Steve, uh, um, watching the race and then his son won the race and it was cool to be right there and, and see it all in person. Yeah, it, it's great. And you know, the Asmussen is such an integral part of racing in Texas and um man it was just really cool to see last night. Yeah. We had uh you know, we had uh Steve was there and, and uh had, you know, pretty good fields uh for opening night and it's you know, looking forward to we got about nine hundred horses on the grounds here uh, at Sam Houston Race Park and, and looking to have a good meet. Brian Pettigrew with me here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Hit some of the highlights for me, Brian. I mentioned the Houston Racing Festival, but talk about what folks can expect when they're watching racing at Sam Houston or if they're going to be attending the races. Yeah, so we uh, we went back to a three-day format. Um, we raced Friday nights at 6.30, and then on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, 1 o'clock uh, afternoon post time, and we're racing uh, thoroughbreds to, to until April. And, uh, uh, you know, our three kind of highlighted days are – Houston Racing Festival on January 27th. Uh, then we have our Texas Preview Day on February 17th. And then we round out the, the season uh, March 23rd with Texas Champions Day, which is uh, to, to honor all the Texas thoroughbreds. And uh, when I left when I left Houston, I started out my career at Remington Park, and then Sam Houston was my second stop before going to the Breeders' Cup. And Texas Champions Day was the biggest day. And so when I got back here, and they said, "Oh, it's a Houston Racing Festival is our biggest day." And I said, "Oh, that's you know, all right. We're gonna we're gonna see what we can do with both those days, making them uh, fun days." Uh, um, but January 27th is Houston Racing Festival. We also have an NHC tournament that day. Um, and last night, I uh, I think the total I heard is we're up to about 60 entries. Uh, our goal is to get to 100 entries, and uh, it's Pegasus Day. And I keep telling friends of mine i said look you know we'd love to have you in houston if you can't make it to miami for the pegasus 
come to Houston. Uh, we got similar weather. Uh, treat you to some good racing and have a good time in Houston. No, it's a great, a great promotion too, and a, a great event. Any of those handicapping tournaments, if you can, you know, if you can attend one of those, folks, make sure you do it because they are really a lot of fun, and it gives you an opportunity to, you know, maybe take a shot at some pretty good money and punch your ticket to Vegas too. That's right. That's right. And then uh, there's qualifiers, you know, throughout the throughout the month, uh, and and we're we're trying to entertain and get in some of those out of town guests. Uh, to Texas, so we've uh, put an extra few bells and whistles on uh, on on the promotion for anybody out of state. We'll uh, help them out with their hotel uh, and take care of their hotel uh, expenses if they want to come uh, bet it here. Wow, that's fantastic! You know, going back to the Houston Ladies Classic for a minute, um, I know you said that the racetrack told you, "Hey, this is our big day," and it certainly is. But when you look at the horses, Brian, who have won that race over the years, names like Forever Unbridled and Midnight Bisu and Latruska back in 2021, what is it about that race and that night that continues to attract some of the biggest stars that we have in the sport? You know, uh, it's just. It, I think it's just a. You know, it comes back to a great racing surface we have in Houston, uh, a great turf track and, and one of the safest dirt tracks in America. And, uh, comes back, I think to the racing surfaces and, and we've been, you know, this is our 30th season of racing. Uh, we're celebrating that, uh, all year long as, uh, we've been here now 30 years and, uh, and then it goes to our racing department. They're working to talk to horsemen throughout the year. Um, and, and trying to get them to point horses here. Uh, it's, you know, it's a good time of year uh, um, with, uh, you know, Santa Anita's running, Gulfstream's running, Oakland's running. And so just uh, I think where it's positioned has, has helped us a lot also. Mm-hmm. When the press release came out about the 2024 race meet, you were quoted as talking about the team being very excited for the race meet, but you also said, that you have tremendous support from the Texas Thoroughbred Association, the Texas Horsemen's Partnership, and the Texas Quarter Horse Association. How do all of those organizations come together to make racing in Texas successful? You know, uh, we just we when I got here uh, this past June, we it was kind of going through a, a change in in leadership, uh, not only at our track but just throughout the. Texas horse industry and and I said hey you know we all need to be working together uh and and making sure that not only thoroughbreds and quarter horses are recognized but just anybody that loves horses uh horse sports um horse activities getting out and taking a picture with the horse we need to start working together and communicating and making sure that we're supporting one another um and promoting one another in a positive manner. So we've we've just been uh, working our tails off at just over communicating to them, just uh, from the smallest things to, you know, uh, at, at the, that are taking place at the track to what horsemen can expect. Uh, we have a text messaging program that's set up for horsemen that gives them up to date information, so they all get it, and it's not just one person getting a text or hearing it through the grapevine and. Um, I think it just came back to, you know, kind of renewed effort in communicating with every, everyone and, and using all of our tools that we have. And, but, uh, yeah, we've, 
we've had a good partnership with all of those horse horsemen's groups here and, and uh, look forward to continuing to foster that. Living in Texas, how often do you have to defend yourself for being an Oklahoma Sooner? <laughs> and I'm wearing an Oklahoma Sooner sweatshirt right now. I have to, and I have a tag on my car, so I get a lot of waves when I drive down the highway. Uh, and uh, not so friendly, Wade. So, <laughs> Toby Keith will have your back. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a great state. Uh, you know, just a lot of Texas pride, and and uh, I think one of the fascinating things about University of Oklahoma is just how many Texas kids go to school there. It's kind of like being. Uh, you can go out of state and you're not too far away from mom and dad and uh, you can kind of be a little bit of a rebel. So we got quite a few alumni down here. So You've been involved with other major sports organizations over the years, Brian, including more recent, most recently the PGA Tours Barbasol Championship in, in Lexington. Um, are there things you take away from working with those other sports that help you as you're putting together a plan for racing in Texas and, and specifically for Sam Houston? Oh, yes. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I was thinking about this the other day. I think I should write down what, some of my learnings from each of these organizations because I've learned so much. And yeah, when I started out in horse racing, I was at Remington Park working under David Vance and Corey Johnson, who were very entrepreneurial and marketing minded. And when I came to Houston, I worked for a guy named Bob Bork, who was one of the kind of founding fathers of simulcast wagering and, and how to send out your simulcast signal. And then working at Breeders' Cup, you know, you just had uh, great experiences there and you got to work with some of the great uh, leaders in horse racing at, you know, all these different tracks from Churchill Downs to Santa Anita and Del Mar and uh, New York. Um, and, uh, then I moved on to PGA Tour, and, and it's fascinating at PGA Tour was when I was just starting there, they were starting sports wagering, and so I would sit on some of their sports wagering calls, and a lot of what I was hearing was concerns or questions or things that horse racing had gone through for 20, 25 years, and so I would lend my uh, expertise to them for kind of on the betting side and, and sports wagering side and uh, connected them to different folks in the horse racing industry. and. So when I moved into golf, uh, I didn't know what to expect, but I did find there are a lot of um, uh, horse racing fans that work at the PGA Tour that either own horses and partnerships or love racing, keep up with it. And it was fascinating to me. And I, I still haven't figured that out. It's why so many golfers, uh, I think it has to do with the gambling. Um, but uh, there's so yeah. many of them that would come up and go, hey, tell me about this horse or have you been to Gulfstream or have you ever been overseas, you know, and ask me about different racetracks. So even from a marketing perspective, I, I remember having a conversation with folks at the NTRA years ago, going back 10 or 12 years ago about the similarities in the demographic of a racing fan and a fan of professional golf. And, and there are a lot of parallels there. So from a marketing perspective, I would imagine there's a lot of things you can latch on to as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of learn their likes and dislikes and habits and what they, um, what what gets them excited about coming out to the races or to the golf course. But uh, uh, I, I learned, you know, on the PGA Tour just too, they're very organized. They're working uh, very similar to what Breeders' Cup is two and three years out. 
Um, and, and those bigger organizations were always, um, that was, uh, a lot for me, that was a lot more my style working on like a two, three, five year plan rather than next week. Hey, we got to do this. And, uh, so, um, but you know, they could adapt to it also. And, uh, and, and in fact, um, you learn a lot from their marketing team. Uh, they were, they were very good at sponsorships as well at the PGA tour level and, and and when I when I joined uh, Barbasol on the PGA Tour, I started, you know, connecting some of our um, partners that were in horse racing to golf. If they weren't already, I would entertain them out there and kind of cross market those those sponsors and and uh, um, oh you know always had horse racing kind of in the you know in my purview even when I was in golf. I was uh, still connecting and going to the. Triple Crown races and Breeders' Cup and uh, and yeah and 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 cross marketing and cross um, uh, entertaining those uh, those sponsors and the and the management tour uh, the management at the PGA Tour and horse racing. Visiting with Brian Pettigrew here on the Horse Racing Radio Network, Brian. Before I let you go, just recap what folks can look forward to coming up at Sam Houston. The meet underway yesterday and really excited to see what uh, unfolds over the next couple of months well and thanks for having us on mike we appreciate the things you guys do for horse racing and we're excited we just started our 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 43-day thoroughbred meet uh fridays we have our prime fridays and uh and live bands on friday nights uh we race at nighttime at 6 30 so people can catch us after after work on a long long week of work they can come to the track on friday night and then on saturdays and sundays we race at one o'clock uh we have food specials on saturday as well and then we have a a big brunch and uh bloody mary's and mimosa specials on sundays um houston texas is known for their brunch and so we we want to be in that mix of best places in houston to go uh for brunch so uh we have one o'clock racing on sunday as well All right, Brian, I appreciate the conversation here this morning. All the best with this meet and looking forward to the future as well. Uh, Happy New Year, and I will talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Thank you, my friend. I look forward to seeing you at the races soon. You got it. Brian Pettigrew, the Vice President and General Manager of Texas Racing Operations for Penn Entertainment, looking ahead to that meet, which kicked off last night at Sam Houston. When I come back, I will take a look at what's coming up for the rest of the program, and remember, a very special person um, who we lost this past week. Stay with me. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile, the grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. 
10 to equine and pet care products have been keeping world-class equine athletes happy and healthy for generations. Keep your equine athlete looking and performing well with Tenda Next Generation Wound and Skin Care Treatment. Along with nutritional supplements, leg and muscle care products, salves, hoof care, poultice, topical aids, and grooming products. Visit TendaHorse.com today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN. Presented by Twin Spires. Good night, Olive has taken the lead from society as they arrive at the top of the stretch. Ida's third of the inside, you carry this fourth, then clearly unhinged and three witches. They're into the stretch, and Errod Ortiz Jr. says, Let's go to Good Night Olive, and they are opening up with every stride. Yugiri has moved up into second on the outside, running a big one at a good price, but there's no doubt about the winner. Good night, Olive is a champion again. Yugiri was second, three witches was third, then Society and a photo with Kirsten Bosch, 122.97 seconds. Welcome back to the Equine Forum. Mike Penna with you on this Saturday morning. That was... Larry Colmas, the voice of racing on NBC with the Triple Crown and the Breeders' Cup. And Larry bringing them home in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. Won for a second consecutive year by Goodnight Olive, who capped off her 2023 campaign with that victory. Um, I'm going to ask Dale and Tim when they come up at 1030 Eastern if Goodnight Olive should be considered a lock or not to win another Eclipse Award as the champion female sprinter of 2023 and on the surface you know you heard brad cox in the first hour of the program talking about how the second half of the season in the breeders cup is really what determines the year-end champions the eclipse award winners in our game and if you you look at it on the surface you think okay good night olive defending her title sure she has to be the the champion check that box it's easy but if you recall, she was beaten by Echo Zulu over the summer in their only head-to-head meeting. That came in the ballerina at Saratoga. We didn't get to see the rematch in the Philly and Mare Sprint because Echo Zulu was injured before the Breeders' Cup, so she didn't get to compete. But Echo Zulu completed a perfect 3-for-3 three three campaign in 2023 and then beat Goodnight Olive in their only matchup head-to-head. So is Goodnight Olive a lock or not? to win another Eclipse Award in that division this year. That's one topic I will bring up with Dale and Tim as we talk about several Eclipse Award categories at 1030 Eastern in I Ask, They Answer. And by the way, if you want to check out the podcast of that segment and all of our shows that we bring your way every week, all you have to do is head back to our website, horseracingradio.net, and you can listen to all of our podcasts at your leisure whenever you have some time. I want to remind you, too, that when you're on our website, you'll want to sign up for our email newsletter, which we send out twice a week, every Tuesday and every Friday, to keep you in the loop as to what's coming up on the show, who our guests are going to be each and every week. All of that is in our two weekly email newsletters. You can sign up for free on our website, horseracingradio.net. I mentioned the name Brad Cox. He was with me in the first hour of the program. Michael Blowen was with me in the first hour of the program as well. Looking back on his 20 years as the founder and president of Old Friends, that reign has now come to an end, and John Nicholson will take over. 
Brian Pettigrew was with me in the previous segment. If you missed any of those interviews, you know what to do. Go check out the podcast on our website after we finish up at 11 a.m. Eastern, and you can do that too on every podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google or Spotify or Podbean. However you access your podcasts, type in Horse Racing Radio Network and listen at your leisure. Poll question today. Is it right or wrong to include international-based horses on the Eclipse Award ballots? 57% of you saying it is wrong, 43% voting that it is indeed correct to do so. And if you don't do social media and you can't vote there, you can certainly email the show with your opinion, Mike at horseracingradio.net. JD says there is no binary answer to the question. It all comes down to the number of starts and performances in those starts within the states. I think that's kind of my point. If a horse like August Rodin, who is one of the choices on the ballot for the male turf horse division, if a horse like that comes from overseas and wins the Breeders' Cup turf in their only start in the United States or North America, is it right to include them on the ballot and have voters choose them over other horses, like up to the mark, for example, who had several grade one wins here in the States this year? Do you think that's right? I wouldn't mind seeing a threshold set. Maybe a horse has to compete three times in the United States or in North America in order to be eligible to be on the ballot for an Eclipse Award in a certain division. And that's another topic I'll bring up with Dale and Tim, 1030 Eastern, get a chance to talk to them here and see what they think about that. But I wouldn't mind, I don't mind Master of the Seas being on the ballot for the male turf horse, the Breeders' Cup turf mile winner, because he had three starts in North America. He started at Woodbine, he started at Keeneland, then he started in the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. No problem with that. But I think a horse like August Rodin, who campaigned exclusively in Europe before coming to the States, and yeah, I know he won the biggest race we have in that division, But I'm not sure that's the right way to go. I think a thresh, a threshold, a minimum number of starts in the U.S. or North America might be a better way to handle that. And again, I'll ask Dale and Tim their opinions coming up in the final segment of the show at 1030 Eastern. Well, over the years, so many of you have taken time to reach out and let me know how much you enjoy our weekly Legends of the Turf segments here on the Equine Forum, which were created and produced by my mentor, Pete Coolis. Some of you will also remember those segments being presented by the Lexus Store of Lexington as your Lexus Legends of the Turf each week. And some of you who have been listening to this show for the past 20 years might even recall that the first title sponsor of the Equine Forum was Lexus and the Lexus Store of Lexington when this show was initially called the Lexus Equine Forum. All of that came about because of my relationship with a wonderful friend who would become known to HRN Nation as the Godfather, Tony Attiano. Well, Tony passed away on Sunday at the age of 83. Not only was he beloved by everyone who knew him during his time at the Lexus store of Lexington, Tony was a passionate supporter of the horse racing industry. Over the years, he was involved as an owner, as a breeder, 
and he was never afraid to back his opinions at the windows. He became a larger-than-life figure to so many of our listeners and to our family here on HRN. His appearances on the show were among the most popular that we've ever had. We would always spend more time talking about horses than cars when I would stop in to see him at the Lexus store of Lexington. A proud native of New York, Tony loved his Giants and he loved his Yankees. But it was among the horse farms of Kentucky that he would feel most at home. Rest in peace, Godfather. I'm back with jockey Drayden Van Dyke next on the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Experience the excitement of Ontario racing with over $17 million in purses and programs. The Ontario Thoroughbred Improvement Program is loaded with TIP stakes, sales credits, purse bonuses, mare and foal incentives, and awards for both stallions and breeders. Visit tip.ontarioracing.com to learn more. That's tip.ontarioracing.com. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Old Journey has passed on by. Rotney back to second here. Stage left on the grandstand side, but saw the seam, and Eric Cancel went right through, and Bold Journey wins the Gravesend impressively. Bold Journey, the son of Darley Stallion Hard Spun, cruised to his third consecutive victory and his second consecutive stakes win. That came in the Gravesend at Aqueduct last Saturday, notching a career-high 100 buyer. That win comes on the heels of his triumph in the Grade 3 Fall Highweight last year, making Bold Journey your Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Darley Stallion Hardspun. Bold Journey was one of 26 black-type horses for Hardspun in 2023, a total that included 12 graded stakes horses. Hardspun stands in 2024 for 35000 Learn more about Hardspun and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. Hi, this is jockey Brian Hernandez. For me, there's no bigger thrill than crossing the finish line in front, and nobody captures the excitement of our sport like Horse Racing Radio Network. Each week, HRRN brings you exclusive talk shows, podcasts, and in-depth conversations with the biggest names in racing, jockeys, trainers, owners, and more. Plus, HRRN is committed to helping disabled riders through their support of the PDJF. So climb aboard a winner today by visiting horseracingradio.net. HRRN is live online. Go to our website at horseracingradio.net to stream all of our broadcasts live or listen to the show archives anytime. Read our blogs, get the latest news, and see our entire broadcast schedule. It's all there at horseracingradio.net. And follow us on Twitter at HRRN and like our page on Facebook. Search Apple Podcasts for HRRN and download our latest shows. HRRN is home to racing's biggest events, and our home on the web is at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. 
And here comes Stormy Liberal trying to win it again on the outside as they arrive at the final furlong. They've left the others behind. Stormy Liberal in World of Trouble digs in. These two will clear their competition. Then it's Disco Partner, Will Call and Chanteline coming to the final 16th. World of Trouble on the outside. Stormy Liberal heads coming up and down to the wire. Stormy Liberal back to back in the turf sprint. And then it was World of Trouble Disco Partner and Ruby Notion. That's Larry Colmus with the call of Stormy Liberal, providing jockey Drayden Van Dyke with a moment he'll never forget. It came in the 2018 running of the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint at Churchill Downs. Van Dyke exploded onto the national racing scene in 2014 when he received the Eclipse Award as Outstanding Apprentice Jockey of that year. And with 809 career victories to his credit, the arrow has always been pointed up. On the outside, the 29-year-old appeared to be very much in control. But on the inside, it was a much different story. In early October, Drayden made the decision to step away from racing to focus on his mental health. He recently took time to tell his story to Steve Anderson of the Daily Racing Forum in an excellent article that appeared in the January 1st edition of the DRF. And now, fresh and focused, he is looking forward to his return to the saddle. And I am looking forward to welcoming jockey Drayden Van Dyke to the Equine Forum here this morning. Drayden... All the best, my friend. Happy New Year. Thanks for taking the time. Yes, sir. Happy New Year to you. Man, I love that playback you just played. That gave me chills. <laughs> yeah, a little trip down memory lane for you. Oh, I watch it all the time. That's, uh, like you said, that's one of the, the most special moments in my career so far. And uh, Breeders' Cup, the, the biggest stage of horse racing, it, it, was, it was very special indeed. If that doesn't get you pumped up to return to the saddle, my friend, nothing is going to because that ride on your part was excellent. The horse gave you everything he had, and then you got a chance to experience what it's like to win a Breeders' Cup race, as you just mentioned. Um, what what was going on last year? You, you know, on the outside, as I mentioned, it appeared as if Drayden Van Dyke has the world, you know, by the horns. You could do anything you want to do in life, and then inside, it was a different story. What was going on with you last year? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a correlation of, of a lot of things, but the main thing that 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 I had to really find was myself again. And um, but from my my father's suicide was was the initiation of of all these things that I that I held inside. Um, so my my father committed suicide when I was eighteen. Um, the first year I started riding, and I was in Del Mar, and I'll never forget it. Um, Tom Proctor, he he's the one who told me. He gave me a call uh, on the phone, and I answered the phone happy. I said, "Hey, Tom, how you doing?" And I could tell something was wrong because his voice was kind of shivering, and and he told me the news, and, and I could hear he was upset and kind of crying. And then then he hung up, and and I, I couldn't believe what he just told me. He was, I, I couldn't believe it, and from that moment on. I mean, I was in a state of shock for the rest of the year. Um, my life was a blur. Um, I don't remember my, my father's funeral. Um, just, just, it was something at an early age when I was doing so good and, and, and so busy. Um, I didn't, I didn't how to know how to process it. So, I mean, I, I held it in and I, I taught myself how to block it out really. And that's the worst thing you can do. Um, like I said, during this time off, I, I, I focused on myself. I focused on finding myself, communicating better with, with 
the small circle I kept myself around, um, talked to my mom a lot, um, family. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that was the initial dagger, um, that, that led to this spiral. Um, and, and like I said, everything happens for a reason in life. Life's not easy. And it's made me a very, very strong person, but it also broke me at the same time. So, yeah. Have you taken time now to process your dad's suicide and, and come to terms with that now? I have, yeah. I uh, I pray a lot. Um, I'm lucky I have, like I said, I have really good people in my corner. Mike Smith is a very religious person. And, and we're, look, we're not all saints. We're not all angels. We're, we we do bad things in our life that, that we we hold inside. We we have guilty consciences and, and this and that and and he, he he taught me to just pray about it uh ask for forgiveness forgive me for my sins and and this and that but i i really just focused on praying all the time and lord get me through what i'm going through to show me the way what can i do and 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 i just i listened to my heart instead of trying to please others and and instead of making other people happy i, I need to focused on myself and and make myself happy and get myself right because if i don't uh, i'm just gonna go deeper and deeper into this hole that i was digging myself in and and so yeah during this time off i mean it's it's still not completely 100 percent, which it'll never be there'll always be a void um because i i love my dad to death and and uh he's the one who got me into this business he uh he got me around horses for the first time he made me fall in love with the sport, and and when he was gone, it it it, it threw me off. It it is like, what am I riding for now? I'm trying to make my father happy, make my my family happy, my mom happy, and now my dad's gone, and and it 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 messed with my mind big time. And and but during this time off, I I stayed away from my phone, tried to stay off social media. Because the more and more you read, the more and more you start thinking about yourself. Oh, this kid doesn't have it anymore. Or people, people are mean, and and they don't know how 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 much words can really affect people. And you don't know what what a person's going through. And so I'm I'm 29, but I mean I realize this. And so I mean when I see a person on the street or meet a new person. I, I I try to not say too much, and I want to listen to them and see what they have to say first, and just to get a gauge on what where they're at in life, and 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 you gotta treat people the way you want to be treated. I know this this sport is tough; it's cutthroat. There's no loyalty. I mean, you can win on horses and and just get get it ripped out from underneath you, and and it, it took its toll. I mean, that's not what made me take my break but it, it, was, it was bits and pieces of it that that led to, to me just I have to get away or I don't want to do this anymore you know what what allowed you Drayden to continue to ride at a high level and do your job as you were dealing with those inner struggles where did you find the strength to do that uh so I've, I've always been a big physical fitness fan and so I would I would just run, 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 work out, work out. And that's the best medicine you can do for your mind. And it kept me sane. But I mean, I was, that's a good question. It was, 
like I said, it, it was I was so busy. I was doing so good. I, I I really didn't have time. I didn't have time to 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 worry about it or or fix it. I I swear. I just focused on on horses and horses only, and that's what led to my bad communication with with people and and my family. Like I stopped talking to them. I just I just focused on horses and only horses and. And look, I, I you live and you learn, but man, you gotta you gotta be around family. You gotta have people that have your back. That no matter if you have if you lose all your money or if you you never ride again, they're gonna still accept you for who you are. And those are the people that you need to to keep around you 24/7 if you can, and 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 stay in contact with them because those people keep you sane and and they they keep you they keep you who you are and. Uh, yeah, it, it was tough. Uh, and I was riding seven days a week at that time. I was riding Thursday through Sunday in Del Mar and Santa Anita, and I was going to Turf Paradise Monday through Wednesday, which led to Eclipse Award. And, and um, in my speech in the Eclipse Award, I, I, I gave my father a shout-out. And, and my agent at the time, I had two. Steve Nolan was, was uh, booking my mounts at uh, Turf Paradise, and... And Sarah Wolf was booking my mount to Santa Anita Del Mar. But Steve Nolan, his son, unfortunately, he got hit by a drunk driver crossing the street um, that same year. And and I, I gave his son a shout out as well. I mean, look, we all go through experiences. Death death is is not easy. It's it's people who have gone through it, who have gone through suicides, and uh, it's 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 a mind mind game. It's a mind it's 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 terrible man and and like i said you never know what someone's going through and and if you can be there for them and and listen man it can mean the world a difference talking with jockey drayden van dyke here on the horse racing radio network drayden one of the quotes that really jumped out at me as i was reading steve anderson's article in the daily racing forum was you said when i stopped i was angry I was mean with people. I wasn't that guy I was when I came around. I was a nice kid. I was very respectful. I was losing my ways. I had to get back to my roots. Earlier you mentioned taking time to find yourself again. What have you discovered about yourself in this time off that that makes you believe that you're good to go moving forward, getting back into riding again? Yeah, like I said, I I can actually control my brain and, 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 instead of jumping the gun and, and just when I hear something, someone's talking about me or someone's taking me off a horse, I want to instantly just say, I want to say something that's not good, you know, um, and, and be mean. I was being mean to, for, for instance, Carla Gaines, I was in Del Mar, um, and I just saw her this morning, and I just wanted to say, I told her, I just wanted to say I'm sorry for, for the way I, I, I was towards you, um, this past summer um and she's like honey you don't have to say sorry she's like i understand and she's like you're, you're we're fine and it that means the world to me because i i, I kind of went off on her not not screaming or anything but just just not understanding just like a bad communication with my agent and and just i was just felt like i was being used all the time and, and people wasn't seeing my worth didn't see my skill anymore they were just just using me, using me, and just and giving me no chances anymore. And 
and I, I, I couldn't control my emotions anymore. I, 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 uh, I had no control over myself and, and I've always had control over myself. I, like I said, I was raised right. I was, yes, ma'am, no ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, uh, and if, if people are mean to me or this and that, I usually just let it go out one ear and out the other. And, uh, uh, and I, I was losing myself, like you said. And, and during this time, like I said, I got away from everything. I got the racetrack life. A lot of people don't understand. There's a lot of things that, that we go through and in the morning time, it's not easy work and, and we get zero compensation. I mean, we're, we're working for free, putting our lives on the line in the morning to hopefully get a chance in the afternoon. And when you're not, when you're putting in a lot of work and you're not seeing the results, you're like, how is this making sense? I mean, this doesn't make sense, but I mean, you got to put your nose to the grindstone and, and ride the wave. But I mean, you got to be mentally right too. If you're not, you're not going to be able to handle it. And I wasn't handling it. And, so during this time off, I, I excluded myself from, from the racetrack. I wasn't talking to anybody. I wasn't answering phone calls because I just it was adding to more pressure and more, more anxiety and, and it's just toxic, and I, I had to get away from it. And, man, it, I, I feel like as I was telling Steve Anderson, I said, man, I feel reborn, man. I feel like a new person. I feel I've never been better. I've never been fitter. I've never been in a better place in my life. I'm, I'm closer to God than I've ever been before. And man, I, and I've, I was losing the excitement of, of waking up in the morning and going out to the track. Cause I, I used to be excited. I, I'd have a hard time going to sleep because I'm excited to wake up the next day. And I needed to get myself back to that, that point. And man, I'm there. So that's, that's how I knew. Uh, good for you. Good for you. Drayden Van Dyke here on HRN. Drayden, last year I I spent a lot of time on this program and outside of this program talking with riders about mental health issues and mental wellness and how they were dealing with things they were going through. And earlier you said, and I think you're 100% right, everybody's going through something. It's a matter of how you deal with it and then how you reach out to other people if you need help. So what advice would you give to other riders who might even be listening to this conversation right now and maybe they're going through something and they don't want to come forward with it what what do you say to them yeah say reach out to reach out to your family if you're close to them talk to your mom talk to your dad if you're lucky to have them still or talk to anybody that that you can trust that won't go around and and tell them what you're telling telling them and um don't be embarrassed don't be afraid because it's, it's not, like I said, I, I thought I was being weak or, or I didn't want to tell other people my problems because I know they have their own and they're not going to listen. But you find the right person that's going to listen to you. I mean, and, and, and talk to them as much as you need. And if you need to go get professional help, go get it, man. I mean, it's, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you uh, whatever you want to call it. But, I mean... It, 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 it'll mean the world a difference and, and it'll take that weight off your shoulders. It'll take that, that, that guilty conscience or, or that stuff that's eating you from the inside out. It'll, it'll slowly take it out, take it out and, 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 and focus on, on putting only positive into your mind. What you read, what you listen to, what you see on social media, 
it, it, it goes a long way. It goes it goes so far because if you're constant, constantly reading negativity, constantly watching bad videos that are on Twitter and and Instagram and this and that and and, and always listening to people, oh, this racetrack's gonna this we got only five more years here and it's gonna close and this and that and oh, there's not enough horses here and it, it, it it's an anxiety. It, it it's for a guy that dedicated your life, my life to this sport, you hear this, you hear the sport dying, you hear all this and that. I'm like, I'm I'm starting to panic, kind of. I'm getting, I'm getting anxiety. I'm getting scared. I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm, but man, take it out of your mind. Take it out of your ears, if you can. Or, or the people that are saying that, get away from them. They put your surround yourself with positive people that have a positive outlook on life. Um, because that's the main thing, being happy in life, no matter if you're successful or not. I mean, like you said, money only goes so far. I mean, you can meet a millionaire, billionaire, and they can be the loneliest person in the world. I mean, happiness is, you can get it in so many ways. And, and, and the first thing you should do is, is find a person and just start talking. How far away are we from seeing Drayden Van Dyke back in the saddle in the afternoons and ultimately back in the winter circle. Yeah, so I'm out here this morning, uh, Santa Anita. Um, I'm trying to get on one this morning, but I do have workers lined up for uh, for Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So just gonna get on some workers and, and kind of play it by ear. But uh, I, I feel like you know, it's, it's like riding a bike. It's it's not gonna take me very long to recalibrate my clock and and. Uh, and like I said, it's it's very very short. It's uh, I say within the next week or two, hopefully. You mentioned your workout regimen, and Mike Smith, a tireless worker as well. He's out there working out every single morning, and that's why he's able to ride at the level he rides at day in and day out. But can you duplicate the fitness that you need when you're riding a horse? Can you duplicate that on a treadmill or getting some miles in on the road, or do you have to be riding horses to really truly get fit? I mean, race fit, you, you can't get race fit besides riding races. But, yeah, you can uh, by working out outside of the track. In my in my example of, of like, lungs and cardio and, and just getting your body as tight and, and as toned as you can to where when, when you do start getting on horses and this and that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be so much quicker getting your fitness back. I mean, like I said – it might take me three to four days at the most. Uh, and, and I'll be surprised if I'm even sore if I get on a horse. I'm, I'm so fit. Uh, my, my respiratory system is, is to the nines. And um, it's, it, it can go a long way. And, and I, I mean, if I could tell anybody something, I mean, physical fitness is, is key in, in horse racing and longevity and uh, – and performance. If if I feel that I'm fitter than everybody in that room, I feel like I'm I'm better than everybody in that room. It, just in my mind, it gives me that confidence to to walk up to somebody and 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 because I I know what I look like underneath my clothes. I I mean, it, it it goes so far. And and if you can afford to pack on a few extra muscles, I mean, do it because it's going to help you. And like you said, it's like it's it's natural body armor so if you fall off a horse or if you come down in a spill 
the fitter you are, the more muscle you have protecting your organs, this and that, your bones, you're less likely to, to get injured. So, I mean, there's so many aspects to physical fitness, not only your mind, but protection um, and, and, and longevity. I mean, look at Mike, for example. I mean, don't want to compare him to other older riders, but, I mean, he, he wouldn't have lasted as long as he has without doing the things that he does in the gym. And, and, that's, and that's fact. So, I mean, if you can put in the work, if you can stay dedicated, which I always have been. I, I, I used to run I used to run around my, my trailer park before I went to school when I was in high school. When I figured out I wanted to ride races and be a jockey, which was mid-sophomore year or beginning of sophomore year, I started running before my bus came. I ran so much around my, my trailer park that I, I – the grass I, I ran around, I made it brown. I made a little brown mark around my, my trailer park because I'd run and run and run. I'd try to run at least a mile or two before the races. And as I got fitter, I mean races, school, um, and as I got fitter, I just kept improving, improving, improving. And when you see results, man, it, it only makes you want to do it even more and keep improving and it, it go. It, your mind starts working better. I could focus on my work better. I mean, there's so many positive aspects to working out, and and uh, it's amazing. Well, Drayden, I I've told you when I texted you how proud I was that you came out with your story, and I know that your story is going to help others who are dealing with this same thing, whether they're jockeys or trainers or they just work around the racetrack, whatever, it, dealing with something in life. Everybody is, and I know your story will help them. I really, really appreciate you spending time to tell your story with me here this morning. And, man, I wish you all the best. I'm really proud of you. Keep it rolling and can't wait to see you back in the saddle again, my friend. Yes, sir. It's my pleasure. And, and if I can say to anything to anyone, if if y'all, if anyone needs to reach out to me, I, I, I have an ear for you. I uh I'll listen to you. I'll try to help you as best as I can. Uh, my phone will be on for you. So if you ever want to reach out to me, I'll I'll listen to you. So thanks for having me. Drayden, appreciate it, buddy. All the best. Yes, sir. All right, Drayden Van Dyke here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. And I told you throughout last year when I had an opportunity to visit with several riders who were dealing with different things. And even though they're successful on the outside, and we said that, see them in the winner's circle there are a lot of people, a lot of riders who are dealing with various issues and Drayden's bravery coming forward, putting it out there, I think will help other riders. And my thanks to him for taking time for being part of this program here this morning to tell his story. When I come back, I'll take a look at a historical date in racing history or two as they apply to this weekend. And I'll get you ready for hour number three. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. You're listening to HRRN. Horse Racing's Voice. Fans, world-class racing is underway at spectacular Santa Anita, so come join the fun as we move into the new year. First post time Saturday and Sunday is at 12 noon, with admission gates opening at 10 a.m. Three-year-olds take center stage this weekend. The Grade 2 $200,000 San Vicente highlights Saturday's card, and on Sunday, three-year-old Phillies go seven furlongs in the Grade 3 Santa Inez. Horse players, check out our new wagering menu that includes the traditional pick six with a $1 minimum, and this week, 
weekend marks the return of the Coast to Coast Pick 5, a $1 minimum wager with a low 15% takeout that combines races from both Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park. Additionally, our popular all-turf Pick 3 is back with a $3 minimum showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new dollar minimum trifectas and rolling Pick 3s with bigger payouts the order of the day. Santa Anita, it's the great race place. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. Did you know half of all cats in the United States don't see a vet on a regular basis? Hi, I'm Kat Dennings and I love cats. Like really, really love them, seriously. That's why I'm here to ask you to take your cat to the vet each and every year. I'm working with Royal Canin and Orphan Kitten Club in their program, Mighty Cat, the first grant program in the world to protect and care for newborn kittens. For the Take Your Cat to the Vet initiative, which encourages cat owners across the country to schedule annual vet visits. Since it's tricky to decode our cat's behavior, it is super important to collaborate with your veterinarian to uncover any potential illnesses and learn the signs that something could be wrong. As pet owners, it is our responsibility to make sure cats of all ages have a chance to live a full and happy life by providing the care they need and deserve. Visit orphankittenclub.org forward slash mighty cat to learn more. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding. Whoa! Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Snarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Want to get the latest HRRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back. Mike Penna with you on this Saturday morning, getting ready to segue into hour number three. I'll tell you all about that coming up here in just a minute. But how about that conversation with Drayden Van Dyke? I mean, to come out and be so open in talking about all of the different issues that he has been dealing with for a very long time, ever since his dad's suicide, as you heard him talk about. Um, 
it's a brave move, and I think it's a move that will help other people going forward. So my thanks to Drayden and to all the guests who have joined me for the first two hours of the program. Uh, time now to take a look at a couple of historical dates in racing history as they apply to this weekend. Let's start with yesterday. It was January 5th, 1980. The spectacular bid began his undefeated four-year-old season, winning the Malibu Stakes by five lengths at Santa Anita. The Great Colt finished his 1980 campaign a perfect nine for nine. There was only one spectacular bid. Man, was he spectacular. January 6, 1998. Today, the anniversary of Bill Mott being named to take over 1997 undefeated two-year-old favorite trick, replacing Patrick Byrne, who accepted a job as private trainer for owner Frank Stronach. That all occurred January 6, 1998. And those are historical dates in racing history as they apply to this particular weekend. Well, if you missed the first two hours of the program, you can always catch the podcast on our website and on every podcast platform. You can do that every single week with all of our shows. But getting right now to launch into hour number three. When I come back, it will be Joe Christofek who shares his thoughts on three races to watch later today in this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker will take you on his weekly stroll through racing history, a cool story about the Nick Zito-trained Sun King. And the final segment of today's show comes your way at 10.30 Eastern as I once again welcome trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin to discuss racing's hottest topics on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. If your local station is leaving us at this time, continue listening to the third hour of the show nationwide on Sirius 216, XM 204, and the Louisville, Kentucky market on ESPN 680 and streaming at horseracingradio.net. Hour three of the Equine Forum is next, right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's voice. Firenze Fire chasing as hard as he can, and he's now coming at him. Firenze Fire gradually getting to seven trumpets. Here is the line. Firenze Fire wins the Jerome. He had to earn it to beat a tough seven trumpets. A 16 to go, and Silver Charm freehouse with a late run on the outside. But Silver Charm's done enough to win. Silver Charm wins the San Vicente. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. At the eight poles, death being step. Midnight Bizu win the war, getting to third in the middle. It's Midnight Bizu taking up the lead for the 16th to go. Moving away from Steph being Steph and win the war. Midnight Bizu. Midnight Bizu scores by four lengths. It is Archangelo with the lead. Archangelo in front, trying to hold on for the final 50 yards. And it's Archangelo to win the test of the champion. It is Archangelo, and it is a monumental victory for trainer Jenna Antonucci. And what a month for jockey Javier Castellano. He won his first derby with Mage. He wins his first Belmont Stakes with Archangelo. Now, here's Mike Penna. Well, I opened the show by telling you that nobody is going to convince me that that moment right there you just heard from John Embriel is not the moment of the year in thoroughbred racing. The NTRA announced the nominees for the 2023 moment of the year this past week and Jenna Antonucci becoming the first female trainer to win a triple crown race with Archangelo in the Belmont is among those choices. And to me, that is an overwhelming slam dunk mortal lock favorite in the in the 13 choices and um no doubt about it 
Welcome back. Hour three of the Equine Forum. Mike Penna. This is the Equine Forum, all presented by Twin Spires, and happy to have you along for the ride. Two hours in the books. If you missed any portion of the first two hours, head back to the website, horseracingradio.net, to listen at your leisure. You can do that, too, on every podcast platform. Don't forget to continue with the poll question. Keep those responses coming at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, and... um, Remember, too, that this third hour of the program is loaded. It kicks off momentarily with Joe Christofek, the first Twin Spires triple play of 2024. Looking forward to the three races that he has selected for you here this morning. Kurt Becker takes you on his stroll through racing history at 1020. Uh, that is a really cool story about the Nick Zito-trained Sun King. You'll remember him, and Kurt takes you on that trip down memory lane coming up at 1020. And at 1030, I ask, they answer, Dale Romans, Tim Wilkin, both going to be with me. We're going to talk a lot about the different Eclipse Award categories with Dale and Tim on that final segment of the show at 1030 this morning. So stay tuned. Plenty to get to. But right now, it is time for the Twin Spires Triple Play. And as I mentioned, Joe Christofek is with me to give you those three races you can bet at TwinSpires.com this afternoon. Joe, good morning, my friend. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Mike. Let's make it a good one. Do you agree with me that that moment with Jenna Antonucci settling the winner of the Belmont Stakes is the singular slam dunk moment of 2023? Yeah, just without giving it any deeper extended thought, I can't think of anything better. I mean, and it came at a time, you know, when we really needed some positivity in the industry, it was a, it was certainly a shining light, not only, you know, the horse, uh, the win, and then the aftermath with uh, the class that she showed, you know, in the moment and thereafter. So, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Well, the three races you have selected today, we're going to dive right into the triple play now. The three races you have selected are the sixth race at the fairgrounds, the seventh at Gulfstream, and the 11th at Gulfstream. So for craps players out there, they'll enjoy that. Races 7-11 coming up at Gulfstream is your final two legs of the triple play. But let's begin with fairgrounds, the sixth race. It is a field of six in the Gary Palmisano Memorial. Six furlongs on the main track. Who wins this one? Yeah, Gary Palmisano Sr., the first gentleman to really embrace me when it came to fairgrounds is being my seventh meet. So uh, this race, moving forward for me, will always have a special place in my heart as we remember. Uh, Gary Sr. is uh, Gary Jr. now uh, an executive with Churchill Downs. Um, I like Bron and Brown here, and I'm not uh, telling you anything that uh, isn't easy to see on paper with the exception of the fact that he got beat last time by Magnum in the Louisiana Sprint. But, A, he ran tremendously well off the layoff. He was three wide the entire backstretch, pressing into a hot and contested pace, six wide off the far turn. He led in the stretch, and the rest of the race completely fell apart as Magnum weaved his way through traffic to get the job done. And uh, before the race, David Carroll kind of hedged a little bit, saying that he thought, Ron and Brow uh, probably needed the start. Since that uh, race on December the 9th, he's come back with two sensational works here locally at Fairgrounds, and now he's facing uh, basically the same crew of horses. So I expect Bron and Brow to win. I expect him to probably be, you know, six to five even money uh, for purposes of the triple play. Not something I would normally do give a big favorite, but I think it's a horse that you can lean on in the multi-race wagers. 
and I actually think if you get even money on this horse, uh, that's that's offer, offering value uh, in its own sort of category. Hmm. That's an interesting point. We talk about value and looking for value all the time when we're playing races. Sometimes value can come at a short price if you think the horse should be even shorter. If he, if he's or she is that good, and you think they're going to be that overwhelming. Of a, of a favorite, if they come at a little better price, even if it's a short price, that can still be value, can it? Yeah, for sure. And if you can take advantage of it, especially in the multi-race wagers now, it's the second leg of the pick six. So it could help you a little bit there as a single. <clears throat> Try to narrow it down. It's the first leg of the pick five, which I don't love. I would rather have a race like this be the second, you know, third, fourth leg of a pick five where you could single um, – you know, people don't want to not be alive after the first leg. So we'll see how it plays out in that regard. But I think you could take advantage not only in the wind pool, cold exactas, but even more so in those multi-race wagers where you're looking for a horse to lean on. I think this horse is a horse that you can lean on in those sequences tomorrow. A couple weeks ago, I had a chance to spend an hour visiting with trainer Jeff DeLome on my weekly trainer talk show, and it was such a great visit. He's such a cool guy to talk with, and there was no shortage of stories on his part over the course of that hour. He is going to saddle number one Mangum in that Gary Palmazano Sr. Memorial, um, owned by Set Hut Racing, which is Jake DeLome, his brother, the former NFL star. Um, what do you make of Mangum? He's going to be a short price, too. Does he have any chance? To, to topple Braun and Brow. Yeah, it's so interesting. You bring up uh, the DeLome family, Jerry, the father, and uh, Jeff, and Jake. And, you know, Jake is always at the forefront because of who he is. He's played in the Super Bowl, fiery competitor, great guy. And, you know, Jake is always pushing Jeff and Jerry forward saying, you know, talk to these guys. Like, I don't need to say anything when I'm doing interviews and stuff. And Jeff is very well-spoken. He's a very good horseman. And they did a great job. I mean, they won the Louisiana Champions Day Classic with Touch Upon a Star and then came back later in the Louisiana Sprint with Magnum. And that was a fun race because the race kind of fell apart. Corey Lannery weaving his way through traffic to get up in just a nick of time. He can certainly win this race. I mean, he needs a fast pace to run at and similar circumstances. And uh, maybe for Brown and Brown not to get uh, – a favorable trip, and in a compact field of six, I think the possibilities of that are, are lessened because Braun and Brow A should get a good forward trip, pace shouldn't be nearly as contested up front, and uh, I think that hurts Magnum's chances a little bit, but uh, certainly respect him off that last win. Joe, let's just call it what it is, right? Jake DeLone was a tremendous quarterback, but he's no Mason Rudolph. He's no Justin Fields, right? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I guess the jury's still out on fields and what we're going to do. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm still hoping maybe there's some upside there, but man, I'll take the fiery competitor in any sport, any day that maximizes their talent. And Jake certainly did that. Yeah. 100%. I'm kidding. Of course he was fantastic. And, um, you know, accomplishing what he accomplished in his career is, is just remarkable. So good luck to them with Mangum, but Joe's top pick here in race six at the fairgrounds this afternoon is number three, Braun and Brow, eight to five on the morning line for trainer Mark Cassie. Let's move on to Gulfstream. The second leg you have selected is race number seven. There are 12 horses signed on in this race to go a mile and a 16th on the turf. I would assume that there's more value to be had in here. 
Yeah, I got a six to one shot. Number nine, Mackalop for Ian Wilkes, who I saw run a couple of times in Kentucky. September Churchill ran second best to a horse named Ocean Point, who was absolutely awesome that day. And then came back in a subsequent start in a fast-paced race on the turf. And it was a turf at Keeneland that slightly favored speed. But the pace was fast, and he had a traffic-filled trip. He was held up late on the far turn, rallied through traffic, just missed to a legitimate winner in Lincoln Highway. Horse that ran third. Clyde's got a gun has since come back to win at Turfway Park. And then uh, the most recent race darkens the form off the turf. Nine furlongs at Churchill was uh, nowhere close. Gets the riding services of Luis Saez here, which I find to be an interesting fit for Ian Wilkes. Six to one in the morning line has a little bit of tactical speed to put himself in position. And you know that uh, Luis Saez is the best in the business at doing that. So Macalop for me, six to one, I think is better than fair value. And uh, yeah, we'll roll with it. I, I love this angle too, Joe. You mentioned that his last race at Churchill off the turf where he finished eighth beating 25 lengths kind of darkens the form a little bit. And I, I love, because I think the general public will look at that last race and they'll say, oh, this horse is going the wrong way. But when you take into account that was an off the turf race, now he returns to the turf and you look further back and you see his turf efforts, they were pretty good. So I love I love looking at this angle because I think a lot of times you catch people napping uh, when you go to the windows on a horse like this. Yeah, for sure. And that's why a lot of people, when they handicap, handicap off the last race. And I think it's important and it's you know, dependent on the race that you start, you know, several starts further back. And I use DRF formulator and I take trip notes and I've got bias notes. And a lot of times a note that you have, you know, a couple of races ago is going to help you just as much as uh, whatever the most recent past performance is, depending on how those past performances play out. So this is a good case with Macalop to look back a couple of different races, see not only who they ran against, what kind of style they showed, how the turf course played, what kind of trip they got, you know, on turf, especially in a big field like this, this is where you're going to find your six to one, eight to one shots that you can really sink your teeth into. I look around at the rest of this field, Mike, and you know, there's not a lot of familiarity to me, but there's a lot of familiarity in this particular horse. I know I'm going to get the price that I'm hoping or expecting to get. So instead of playing around with gimmicks, exactus, tries, all that stuff, I'm just looking to play, win double place, and make a pretty significant investment on just this horse at a square enough price. Number nine, Macalop in race seven at Gulfstream, the top pick for Joe Christoffect in leg two of this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. The final leg is race 11 at Gulfstream. We have 10 horses set to go one mile on that Gulfstream turf course. Who wins this one? Yeah, I like a horse trained by Cherie DeVoe in this race. If I can find it here on my past performances you got the number in front of you mike yeah oh, here we number, go number three, three depiction and by the way this is the Dania beach stakes too by the way yeah yeah and this is a horse that uh was very highly regarded on debut at alice broke slowly i uh, got a clean split off the turn and then galloped out really nicely behind a good winner in blue-eyed george then came back in the subsequent start at alice got a great trip that day and just turned up the heat on the far turn, raced a little greenly, but still drew off smartly to win going away, and then ran in the bourbon at Keeneland, and that was a race with a crazy, uh, a race with a crazy finish. The entire field of 12, literally at the finish line, was separated by three lengths. This horse had an uncomfortable trip, was hung wide, 
and you can see that Cherie kind of regrouped with the Piction after that race, has been training uh, recently down in Florida. Um, you know, I think they think this is a good horse, and that's why this horse is entered in this uh, particular race uh, today. And, again, you get 8-1 to one in the morning line, and you get Tyler Gaffleone uh, for a barn that's really good with layoff horses and really good developing young horses in general. So the Piction, for me, I think will run a big race, outperform the odds, and maybe even get the job done here. Joe, how do you typically view a race like the Bourbon, where you said that the entire field, 12-horse field, was separated by three lengths at the finish? Is that a strong race, or is it a race where maybe they were all just average? How do you view it, and, and can you view it on its on its face value, or do you have to wait a little bit longer until those horses start coming back? No, there's a little bit of everything in there. I think you need to go um, – from top to bottom in the field going into the race and decide for yourself how, how strong you thought the field was going in, how strong was the field coming out, how did the race play out, uh, pace-wise, trip-wise, et cetera, and you know, evaluate all those individuals. But I think in a lot of cases, Mike, I think you're right. The first point that you made, um, say a horse goes and wins the race by three lengths and looks good doing it, and then there's five horses uh, – you know, within a half length of each other for a second. Well, yep. how did they get there? Were they picking up pieces late into a fast pace? Were they all out on the far turn trying to catch? It's, you know, what what was the trip? What was the journey? What caused that result for that horse? And I think you got to evaluate, you know, individually in that manner. And uh, I think that's what separates some of the better handicappers from some of the average ones. Interesting. That's why... Joe Christofek is anything but an average handicapper, and he's here with you for the Twin Spires Triple Play this morning on the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Joe, let me recap before I let you go. Your three races, you start at this, with the sixth race at the fairgrounds. You're going to go with number three, Braun and Brow, who is the 8-5 to five morning line favorite. You're expecting him to go even shorter, but still offer good value because he looks the part. Uh, race seven at Gulfstream, you'll go with number nine, Makalop at 6-1, to one. And race 11 at Gulfstream, the Dania Beach, you'll take number three, Depiction, at odds of 8-1. to one. So good value there as well. And we'll see if we can pull off the triple play. And don't forget, you can bet all three of those races any way you like at Twinspires.com. Joe, what else can folks look forward to when they go to Twinspires? Yeah, just a lot of great promotions. They got the winter money back offer going on now where select races every day. If your horse, uh, you bet a horse to win and they finish second or third, you get up to $10 back. And then the great promotion they have for our home tracks at Turfway and Fairgrounds is the Bayou Bluegrass promotion where any race you bet at Fairgrounds and Turfway through the early stages of February, I think it might be February 4th they've extended it to, you get 10 times the reward points. So all you got to do is opt in and play the races and you earn you know 10 times the reward points than you normally would. So you know, not a lot to do on your part except do what you normally do, which is bet on fairgrounds in uh, Turfway Park. You know, the fairgrounds meet has been tremendous. Uh, the turf course has been in great shape. And then Turfway Park, it seems like every other race, uh, a logical horse is paying $20, and that's what the uh, the racing fans are looking for. So 10 times the reward points, uh, lots of great promotions, uh, as always, at Twin Spires. Joe Christofek, appreciate the visit, as always, my friend. Uh, go Steelers and go Bears. Yeah, go Bears, uh, number one pick in the draft. And, um you know, already looking forward to next year, Mike, but uh, <laughs> we closed on a high note, I'll tell you that. It's like 
closing well to be fourth, and then you can't wait for the next race. That's how I'm looking at it. <laughs> yeah, well said. Appreciate it, buddy. Have a good day. Good luck at the windows. All right. Thanks, Mike. Same to you, man. <laughs> Take care. All right, Joe Christofek with you here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. When I come back, it is Kurt Becker's time to take you on a stroll through racing history. This week, he focuses on the Nick Zito-trained Sun King. You won't want to miss it. Stay tuned. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of Grade 1 winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century, as his third dam is Broodmare of the Year Weekend Surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect 4-for-4 season with an emphatic victory in the historic Grade 1 Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Happy Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the Grade 1. Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs. Happy Saver. Think about it. There's a corner of Kentucky in Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darley grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur D. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hello, I'm Kurt Becker. Thanks for joining me as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. As Keeneland prepares to get underway with its annual Horses of All Ages sale, we remember a Keeneland January sales graduate which became an accomplished resource and which died recently at the age of 21. His name was Sun King. Fold on January 31st, 2002 at Cambridge Farm near Lexington, Kentucky, Sun King was a dark bay or brown colt by former Horse of the Year Charismatic out of Clever But Costly by Clever Trick. Breeder Jim Conway consigned the colt to the Keeneland January sale of 2003, and the colt was such an impressive physical specimen that he was taken from his stall and shown to prospective buyers more than 150 times before entering the sales ring. When he finally passed under the auctioneer's gavel, he brought $400,000, making him the highest price yearling of the sale. The purchaser was Tracy Farmer, who bought the colt on the advice of trainer Bernie Flint. As someone who trained a Midwestern string of horses for Farmer, Flint knew that this particular colt would go to Farmer's East Coast trainer, Nick Zito. Flint commented that the colt was everything you need, just as long as he grows and stays sound. 
He then added, I might have to fight Nick for this one. The purchase would prove to be a wise one. Sun King would win $2.2 million during a racing career, which would see him capture four graded stakes, including the Tampa Bay Derby and the Pennsylvania Derby. In the process, Sun King became one of Zito's personal favorites. When asked this week how much he thought of Sun King, Zito responded by telling us that his mother-in-law once had an artist make a sketch of the horse for him. She paid attention, said Zito, and she knew that he was one of my favorites. As for memorable races, Zito points immediately to the final win of Sun King's career, which came at Keeneland as a four-year-old in the 2006 Commonwealth Stakes. Breaking from the far outside post in a 12-horse field and still next to last with three furlongs to go, Sun King rallied for the win under jockey Corey Nakatani, and he won going away. Nakatani. He's a Hall of Fame writer, right? Zito asks, pointing to last summer's induction ceremony. Well, that was a Hall of Fame ride. Zito then shifts gears when reflecting on the eight grade one placings for Sun King without a victory. Heartbreaking, says Zito. Breaks my heart to think about it. The Breeders' Cup Juvenile, when he was third, I wish he could have gotten off the fence that day. He might have been the best. The Metropolitan was what, ahead? The Whitney. A nose? Ah yes, the 2006 Whitney at Saratoga, the stretch battle between Sun King and eventual Horse of the Year in Vassour. Tom Durkin with the call. In Vassour is right there and now he takes to the outside. Flower Alley in a full out drive on the far outside. Sun King, premium tap has come through an opening toward the rail. We can seek as a long shot looking for a way through. There's one furlong to go in the Whitney here. Sun King on the outside, and Invasor who digs down. Invasor and Sun King, those two coming to the line together in a pitch battle. It's Invasor and Sun King, and at the wire, it's a head bob that may have gone to Invasor. It was desperately close. Sun King was right there with him. Zito is correct. The margin was a nose. Invasor won. Sun King was second. Zito admires his horse's effort to this day, and Sun King's fans agree. When Sun King died on December 2nd at the age of 21, many of his fans took to social media to comment, and several pointed to that stirring stretch battle within Vassour. And the respect was evident. As one fan put it, show me the 2006 Whitney, and I will show you how one can be valiant even in defeat. The tributes upon Sun King's passing were many, including one from a fan named Judith who said, a tough warrior who did his best and gave his all. Others offered fond farewells, including Nancy, who said, Godspeed in the heavens above. Rest easy, champ. And Jillian acknowledged that Sun King had spent the last seven years of his life at Old Friends Equine, the retirement facility located in Georgetown, Kentucky, saying, He was an irreplaceable tour horse and a wonderful ambassador for all thoroughbreds. Old Friends founder Michael Blowen agreed and we close with the words he spoke upon Sun King's passing. Sun King was one of our best retirees, said Blowen. He attracted many fans, including Nick and Kim Zito, who came by often to see him. All of our retirees are missed when they die, but no one will be missed more than the King. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker.
And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Dell Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. A grade one winner on both dirt and turf, War of Will became a classic winner with this victory in the Preakness Stakes. He added turf credentials to his resume with a determined victory in the grade one Maker's Mark Mile. Now his progeny are bringing top dollar in the sales ring. 650,000. Jesse, 375,000. AC, 335,000. A dual surface classic winning son of Warfront, War of Will, standing at Claiborne Farm. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. Up to the mark is launching a four-wide sweeping move. Wolfie's Dynagos, Ocean Atlantique, and Hong Kong Harry. They're off the turn. Santine comes away with the lead. It's Santine in front, but up to the mark is rallying down the crown of the course and up to the mark. Slingshots to the front. Up to the mark in front by two. Hong Kong Harry runs up into second. Late on the scene is Spooky Channel. They're coming down to the finish. Up to the mark. Scores by four in the Turf Classic. Hong Kong Harry was second. It's tight for third there. Spooky Channel or Ocean Atlantique. That's Travis Stone with the call of up to the mark, beginning his stretch of three consecutive grade one turf victories with that win in the turf mile at Churchill Downs last May. But as impressive as his 2023 campaign was, is he a lock or not for the champion turf male title? We're going to talk about that and other topics. Plus, which young riders should you be keeping an eye on in 2024? And is it right or wrong to include foreign-based horses in Eclipse Award categories? Those topics and much, much more are straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf writer Tim Wilkin. And it's all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu equine. 
Well, the Eclipse Award votes have been cast by the voters for this year's different categories. There are several categories, as we know, in which folks will receive an Eclipse Award for their accomplishments in 2023. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about various categories for you here on this program this morning. And Dale, Tim, let's start with this one. Um, We will spend time talking about the top veteran riders of 2023 in the next segment. But I want to start by looking toward the future. You have apprentice jockeys Alex Concepcion, Sofia Vives, and Jaime Torres. You also have Luis Rivera, who all burst onto the scene last year and are going to be among those considered for the Eclipse Award in that particular category. Um, You have established riders, such as Arad Ortiz Jr., Javier Castellano, Flavian Pratt, and others who have continually set the bar pretty high. But I'll ask you this question. Which young riders should we be keeping an eye on as we move in to 2024? Timmy, you want it first? Well, you get uh, a whole new batch of riders every year, you know, the, the apprentice riders. But there's riders that have been around that, you know, haven't, you know, reached that level of the Irads and the the Johnny V's, the Tyler Gaffleones, the Flavian Prats, just to name a few. But, you know, some of the guys that uh, are on the outside looking in and maybe ready to knock open, knock the door open a little bit, a couple of them I'm looking at. Christian Torres is 26. He was 12th in earnings last year. He's already got three um, horses that, uh, that have won races on the Derby Trail. Um, so far, I mean, he just won the Smarty Jones with Catching Freedom for Brad Cox. And, um, you know, he's been uh, a, a pretty consistent rider. I mean, at, uh, at Oak Lawn Park. And, you know, he won the Lucas Classic uh, last year with Clapton at Churchill. I mean, I put him on that list. And another one, um, he's 27, but Gerardo Corrales. He got his first grade one last year when he won the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint with no balls. And, um, you know, he's won five meet titles in his career. Not well known outside of his local area, but I think he's another rider that could, you know, emerge and and start to get bigger mounts. And, you know, winning his first grade one certainly does help that. So those are two I'll give you. Yeah, good good choices. Both good riders on the up and up. And as far as the bug riders go, really the only one I pay much attention to is Concepcion. And uh, I like the kid. And he's shown a lot of talent. And Brad Cox's son is his agent. Uh, took over in November. He's done a great job with him at Turfways, and he's ridden well. But I'm also a big fan, as everybody knows, Martin Schwan. And he started off really well at Oakland Park, and uh, is doing good. He just he got here middle of the year last year, and us you know just getting going but i think he's a top rider he's top rider in south america for years he's young he's 26 or 27 and and i think he's got a shot to be really good but your two choices are good guys to the race around my neck of the woods and i've been impressed with both those riders a lot it's just uh you know getting the horses right yeah now it's just a matter of people realizing how good you are and starting to get in the horses and having a breakthrough i remember a long time ago i I had a horse bring the Breeders' Cup Classic. It was a long shot, and I had to convince Akhmazaya to let me ride a jock, and that was I read Ortiz. And, uh, and all, I just want to ask you something, Dale. When you have a young guy that comes into your shed row who you might not know, 
what's going to be the determining factor if you give them a shot or not? A lot of it do with their agent, for one. If they got an agent uh, that, that I know and respect and has uh, only ride good riders, then, then you got to, you know, he's done the homework and he's watched them at a different circuit or somewhere, paid attention and thinks they have talent. So that'll make you take a look at them and go back and try. And then I usually let them work a few horses, see how they work, what they, how they talk about racing and, and go from there. But, you know, like Alex, Alex, uh, or Axel, he came into Kentucky and he was on a long suspension. He worked a few horses. You could tell right off the bat that uh, he sat well on a horse and, Bryson is, and, and my son Jake are close friends, and I really like Bryson. And so I listened to what he had to say, and he won a race for me at Turfway December, and he took off and winning races everywhere now. So I right and left at Turfway. So I think he's one of them that could be a, a good rider. But a lot, of, a lot of it has to do with the agents. They'll watch around the country. When they see a jock in a, a B circuit that's ready to go to A circuit, they'll try to snap him up. Dale, what did you see in Martin Schwan that made you give him a shot? Well, he he came with some high recommendations. First of all, I mean he tried. He came over here a couple of times, got homesick, went back. And uh, but when Ramon Dominguez and Edgar Prado call you and tell you this kid in South America is special, you need to give him a chance. And and my son was going to be his agent. You listen to those guys. Now well, there there are several good young riders coming up. But again, Irad Ortiz, Javier Castellano. Flavian Pratt, all the top riders, Tyler Gaffleone, they have all set that bar pretty high. That's where they're all going to try and get to in 2024. It should be fun to see how it all unfolds. All right, topic two, we're going to have a little fun. This is a a new game I'm going to introduce for this particular segment. It's called Lock or Not. I will throw out some Eclipse Award candidates, and you guys will tell me if they are a lock to win the Eclipse Award or not, and let me know why. And you have horses such as Idiomatic and Elite Power and Just FYI, Fierceness, they've all made strong cases for championship honors in their respective divisions, and they're all probably going to be a lock. So let's talk about a few that look to be a little bit more wide open. You have Jockey Irador's Chi, or yeah, I can say that, Jockey Irad Ortiz Jr., who wrapped up 2023 by breaking his own single-season earnings record, which he set the year before. He also topped all jockeys in number of wins, but you also had Hall of Famer Javier Castellano win two-thirds of the Triple Crown, the Midsummer Derby, and a slew of other greatest stakes this year. So I'll ask you, Dale, is Arad Ortiz Jr. a lock or not? I'll have to go lock. I think I read, uh, you know, it's hard to top that, that much in earnings in the year he had. I know Javier had a great year. I'd like to see him win it, but I think Arad's a lock. I guess I have to say he's a lock, too. Um, I mean, I read, you know, some people are going to say, well, he rides for Todd, he rides for Chad Brown, he rides for all the big outfits. But, yeah, he's still got to go out and do it, and he did it. Um, he, You know, according to the Equibase stats, he he broke his own record by like $2 million, and he won 42 graded stakes, um, 15 of them grade ones. You know, that that's a pretty tough uh, – uh, resume to beat i mean javier was a sentimental pick because he had a great year you know with the the, the you know the, the derby the belmont the travers 17 grade ones um but I, I just don't know how you can deny i read ortiz the his fifth eclipse because you know he's um he's at a different level he's uh he, he he's the poster boy right now i mean love him or hate him he, he gets the results, and um, 
you got to give them the eclipse. Well, a few weeks ago, we talked about the leading trainer and who would be your MVP on the training side of things if we indeed had one in thoroughbred racing, which essentially is our Eclipse Award. And you both made a strong case for Bill Mott, considering what he did with lesser numbers than, say, Brad Cox and Todd Pletcher and, and Chad Brown and Steve Asmussen. And the year Bill Mott had very well could earn him an Eclipse Award. Uh, could we look at this as being the same situation? Javier Castellano not having as many opportunities as Arad Ortiz Jr., but he made the most of what he had, and boy, did he ever. Uh, could we look at this in the same light? And I'll I'll throw it out there that I voted for Javier over Arad. I don't think that Arad is a lock because of the year that Javier had, if you're going to use the same logic as we did with Bill Mott. Yeah, but I'm, you know if you look at the uh... – you know, the, you know, if you take the same Breeders' Cup, like Bill Mott had an outstanding Breeders' Cup, so, so did I, Rad. He won three races that for, for the Breeders' Cup program. Um, I, I don't see how you can't give it to him again. I just can't see it. But the I'd Eclipse Award is not given out, Timmy, just for the Breeders' Cup. It's, it's a full Absolutely year not. body of work. But, but, but his whole body of work, what he did all year, I mean, again, I'd be shocked if he didn't win it. It's fun to sit here and listen to you two, to you two argue. It wouldn't be a shock to me if he won it because, you you know, how heavily weighted the Derby and the Triple Crown Trail is, and he won those two races. And, uh, yeah, I, I could see him winning it, but I don't think he will. I think Irad's year was just too powerful, overpowering of all of them. And it's a little different, I think. You, you do have to get the horse to ride, but you have a lot of opportunity to get them, especially when you're on a road like Javier was. It's, not, it's different than having a set barn full of horses, and you've got to make the most out of them. All right, let's talk about another category. You had Goodnight Olive, who capped off her 2023 campaign by successfully defending her title in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint, but she was also beaten by Echo Zulu over the summer in their only head-to-head meeting in the Ballerina. Sadly, we were denied that rematch in the Philly and Mare Sprint when Echo Zulu was injured. So I'll ask you, is Goodnight Olive a lock or not for the Eclipse Award? Timmy? Well, since I voted for Goodnight Olive, I'm going to say yes, she is a lock. Um, it was very unfortunate that Echo Zulu got hurt. We didn't get to see what would have been, I think, an awesome uh, rematch between those two ladies. And, you know, the fact that Echo Zulu got hurt and didn't get to compete in, in on the biggest day of, of racing, and I know it's a it's a year it's a year award but you know good night olive you know she defended her title she she won the the philly and mare sprint for the second straight year so i think that um because echo zula was not able to compete yeah that 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 cost her unfortunately she did get hurt but because she didn't run in that race i think you have to give it to good night olive and she's and good night olive is more than deserving yeah, we disagree here, too, Timmy. I went with Echo Zulu just because she won the head-to-head meeting. That's the only comparable race that we have to compare the two, and Echo Zulu bested her that day. So, to me, it was Echo Zulu. She completed a perfect 3-for-3 three three campaign this year, and I'll side with Echo Zulu. I agree with you, Mike. I'm Echo Zulu all the way. She was on my team, if you remember. It's just a shame. I know staying healthy. Your winning team, Dale, the team that won. Well, I wasn't going to bring that up, but since you did. Uh, <laughs> man. Yeah, the uh, Echo Zulu, I thought, was just a dominant filly. I think that she's going to end up winning it. And I know staying healthy is a big part of it, but she made it all the way till the end of the year, until the last race. And 
I think she would have been a you know she would have been a favorite if she was healthy and ran. I think that she wins the Eclipse. All right, one more category to talk about. Prior to the Breeders' Cup turf, if you guys remember, we were talking about up to the mark being the likely male turf champion and a legitimate horse of the year candidate. Dale, you even said he was probably going to be horse of the year if he were able to win the Breeders' Cup turf, which he did not. He did, however, finish a game second from a very difficult post, denying him a fourth consecutive grade one victory on the grass in 2023. But with Breeders' Cup turf winner August Rodin and Breeders' Cup mile winner Master of the Seas also in that champion male turf category, is up to the mark a lock or not for the Eclipse Award? Dale? I don't think he's a lock, but I think he wins. I, I hope he wins anyway. I like the horse a lot, as you know. I've talked about him a lot by, by not this time, and what a heck of a year he had. And I do think if he if he had won the Breeders' Cup turf, we'd have been talking about him as, horse of the, as a potential horse of the year. So he, he grounded out over here all the way all year. And had a great year, great season. I think he should be, not this time, his first champion. This is another slippery slope here, too. I mean, up to the mark was phenomenal all year. And the fact that uh, he did not win the big one. Um, and, you know, the the race that he ran in that race was phenomenal. He was phenomenal in the feet. He just didn't get to the hole first. And, you know, August wrote it wrote in who i voted for um you, you know that i'm sure we're going to be talking about that in a little bit too but uh you win the championship you get to get you you, you get to be the champion in my opinion timmy i think we need to sit down next year before you vote and uh <laughs> let me help you a little bit go over this some it's about a whole year's body of work it's not about one weekend of racing well, then, you know, Augustus, he had a great year overseas, too. And then we're going to get into the comment of the argument of, well, should the Europeans' races matter? Yeah, well, right? hold that thought there for a minute, Timmy, because we are going to talk about that in our very next segment. It is called Right or Wrong. It is the time of the show where we say hello to our good friend, Nick Zito. And you guys get to tell me if the following statements are right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong. All right, here we go. Dale, you get to be the judge on this one because Tim and I agreed on most Eclipse Award categories despite what you just heard in the previous segment. However, we couldn't have been further apart on our votes in the male and female turf horse categories. Tim sided with Europeans August Rodin, as he just said, and in spiral, respectively, in those two divisions. Well, I went with the American runners up to the mark and in Italian. Dale, is it right or wrong to include European-based runners among the candidates in these categories. And which of us got it right, me or Timmy? What do you think? Mike, right or wrong? I always step on Nick. I hate doing that. Uh, Mike, I think you're right. I think if they come over here and if they're a Rossi and there's not a dominant horse in that category in the U.S. that's had a great United States campaign, then they can win an Eclipse Award. But... If they come over in one race and beat a horse like up to the mark that's had a great campaign all year where he went four grade ones, their races, what they did back home, shouldn't count. And is their one race and their one performance big enough to overcome all he did his whole body of work all year? I do not think that the form from Europe should be translated to the U.S. when we're determining our champions. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's different if a horse from Europe comes over 
for maybe three races here in the States, and they win all three, or they win two out of the three, uh, including the Breeders' Cup race, and, and cap it off that way, I can then start to say, okay, at least they competed here in North America. But then, Timmy, then you get into the argument, and this is the way I view it. Um, are we voting for the North American or U.S. Eclipse Award horse, or is this a basically a worldwide award? Well, that's the that's the question. Um, if if these European horses aren't supposed to be on the ballot, I mean, aren't supposed to win, then don't put them on the ballot. If they have to, if they have to run so many times in the U.S. before they can get on the ballot, then so be it. But the way the rules are, that's not the case. So. You know, are you going to penalize an animal that comes over here from Europe and wins the biggest race? I know that it's an Eclipse is a, a full year-round vote, but, you know, those horses also had great years overseas. And let's not forget, the Eclipse Awards is named for the horse named Eclipse who campaigned in Europe. So <laughs> I'm I'm not ready to... to uh, poo-poo the, the Europeans if they're coming over here to run in, in, in the biggest races. What, if, now, what if you were... I, I, don't have a problem with, I don't have a problem with giving them an Eclipse Award if it's a watered-down year or a watered-down category and they happen to come over and have great performance. But the turf one is not. We had a great turf performer from the U.S. That, that, that performed well all year. Just happened to lose the last race. And I don't think that one race should, should trump all the great races he did, had all year long. That'd be what? like winning the regular season, but not winning the World Series. I think we should start calling the Secretary Awards anyway. <laughs> Very good. Go. I'd go, I like I'd that. go for that. Yeah, I would, I would vote for that, too. I agree with that, Dale. That would be okay. What if we were to put a, a, a minimum number of U.S. starts on the as a restriction for those horses making it to the Eclipse Award ballot? I'm okay with I don't, that. I don't think you should do that, though. I think because I think there have been some deserving European winners. Uh, Arazi's the one that always comes to mind. I mean, that performance was so great that year, and uh, he deserved to, to win, even though even though he did only run one time, especially in the two-year-old division where not many of them run a lot of races anyway. But the, but if you know if you say that, you're going to penalize the horse that comes over and and wins the big race. And, but let's say it wasn't Arazi like, but he still he or she still won. Mm, not if you have a horse that's been very dominant in that category all year here. Hey, believe me, I, I'm a big fan of Up to the Mark, but I just didn't vote for him because he didn't win the big one. Mm. All right, well, let's shift gears for this next topic and talk about what the NTRA announced this week. They announced the nominees for the 2023 Moment of the Year, and among those 13 choices are Mage's win in the Kentucky Derby, Arad Ortiz Jr. winning seven consecutive races at Gulfstream in February and Cody's Wish repeating in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. But guys, if you ask me, the overwhelming favorite for the moment of the year has to be trainer Jenna Antonucci becoming the first female trainer to win a Triple Crown race with Archangelo in the Belmont Stakes. Am I right or wrong? What do you think? Right or wrong? Timmy? I'm going to say you're wrong only because I think the Cody's Wish story was without question the story of the year because of the backstory. And I know that uh, some people might say, well, the backstory isn't supposed to be the story, but in this case, I think it is. And believe me, Jenna Antonucci's accomplishment with 
with Archangelo was was awesome. I mean, the way that she handled that horse through the whole uh, from the Belmont through the summer, and then unfortunately not getting to run in the Breeders' Cup, she did a great, great job. And you know, she became an ambassador for the sport. But, you know, if I could make it one and one A, I would do that. But to me, I think Cody's wish. And the story with Cody Dorman and the young boy passing away the day after Cody's wish ends his career, that's the one that, that gets me And because I think that's a story that resonates also with the non-horse fans. Um, and, it, and it, I think, might have brought in more, horse fan, more fans to the game. For me, I think it's Cody's wish. Mike, I got to go against you this time. I think Cody's wish was a story made for a movie, and it wouldn't surprise me if you didn't see one someday. Uh, Jenny did a great job with her horse. I, I don't, I don't see where I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want. I want to phrase this right. I don't see where it's that big a deal. Females in this game can do anything a man can do, and they're just as good at it as we are. Maybe it's a big deal that she finally got someone. One of them finally got the opportunity. There aren't enough of them in the game, in my opinion. I have no problem with female jockeys. I have no problem with female trainers. I think this is the one sport in the world that we can all compete equally on the same stage. Yeah, Dale. I think we can all agree that you know trainers are trainers, regardless of gender. Right? You're all horse trainers, but no female trainer had done what Jenna Andanucci pulled off in the Belmont Stakes this year. There had been others that had tried, not a huge number, but there had been others that had tried. Jenna Antonucci, the first one to pull it off. To me, that that holds significance. And just the fact that she is a female, you know, it it is what it is. But uh, I think that that is, you know, certainly worthy of being the moment of the year. I have to disagree with you on this one. <laughs> All right. Me too. Well, I'm sure Nick Zito might too, but Nick Zito is going to be back with us again next week with those sound bites for right or wrong. We'll do it all over again. But, guys, one more topic to get to before you give us your final point of the week. And it was last week that we shared our New Year's resolutions for the industry. So this week I thought we would wrap up the program, and I would ask you what things you are most looking forward to this year in thoroughbred racing. So, Dale, when you look ahead to 2024, what things have you excited about the sport going forward? Well, triple crowns, what always has me excited. Can't wait to get back to see the Derby preps coming up and uh, lead right into my home city of Louisville for the, for the Derby. Hopefully, I have a horse that can compete this year. And it's uh, there's not, nothing like it in sports, in my opinion. And what used to be Derby weeks now it's Derby two weeks. And uh, I just can't I can't wait every year to get there. That's that's my favorite holiday. Christmas in May for Dale Romans, right? Exactly. Roses in May. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say that I'm really looking forward to the third leg of the Triple Crown, the Belmont Stakes, which is going to be in my backyard at Saratoga this year. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out, and it would be phenomenal if there was a horse going for the Triple Crown, maybe from the barn of Dale Romans, even make it better. But I think that uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to my excursions to uh, Pimlico to work on the Preakness Notes team, Pennsylvania Derby, the the team with Joe Wilson and Rich Romano for the Pennsylvania Derby at Parks, and uh, spending a couple weeks in September with Jenny Reese at uh, Kentucky Downs, my favorite trip of the year. 
I'm also looking forward to seeing how T- Timmy has my bedroom decorated for what they're getting for hotel rooms at Saratoga to spell my week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll gouge you something fierce. Now you know yeah. I wouldn't do that. All right. I'm looking forward. I'm looking you. forward to the, the rubber match between Dale and Tim in the showdown three coming up later this season. I can't wait for that. We'll be you very anticlimactic again. No, it's going to be redemption, my redemption tour. Everyone talks about Dale Romans and how, how he he had his revenge tour, but my goodness gracious, I won the first one. No, I everyone seems to forget talks, about it. I don't know if everybody talks about it, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we got to wrap it up, so let's get to that one final point of the week. This is how we always end the show, with each of you giving us your parting shot, if you will. Timmy, why don't you go first this week? What is your final point of the week? Well, I'm wishing good thoughts to Michael Blowen, who's stepping down as the uh, head of old friends after a 20-year run. He's still going to be part of the day-to-day operation. But he's not going to be the he's not going to be the executive director anymore. That's going to be done by John Nicholson, who used to be at the Kentucky Horse Park. Michael did a great, great job, and thank you for everything he did for the aftercare of the thoroughbred. Um, I just wish him the best. Yeah, I, I, I want to. I want to congratulate. We talked about it earlier a little bit. Alex Concepcion and, and Bryce and Cox for the meet they had coming into Kentucky, uh, and how well they did December meet at Turfway Park. Congratulations, guys! All right, there you have it. I asked, they answer. Presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. Dale, Tim, enjoy the weekend. We'll do it all over again next Saturday. Talk to you next time. Sounds good. All right, if you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, email that topic to me, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and we'll get it worked into the show. They love to hear from our listeners. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. Fans, world-class racing is underway at spectacular Santa Anita, so come join the fun as we move into the new year. First post time Saturday and Sunday is at 12 noon, with admission gates opening at 10 a.m. Three-year-olds take center stage this weekend. The Grade 2 $200,000 San Vicente highlights Saturday's card, and on Sunday, three-year-old Phillies go seven furlongs in the Grade 3 Santa Inez. Horse players, check out our new wagering menu that includes the traditional pick six with a $1 minimum, and this week weekend marks the return of the Coast to Coast Pick 5, a $1 minimum wager with a low 15% takeout that combines races from both Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park. Additionally, our popular all-turf Pick 3 is back with a $3 minimum showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new dollar minimum trifectas and rolling Pick 3s with bigger payouts the order of the day. Santa Anita, it's the great race place. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony's Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony's Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, 
Your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested. That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Well, remember, there's still time to take advantage of the Blood Horse Magazine winter special offer. Right now, when you subscribe to the Thoroughbred Industries premier monthly magazine, you will receive a 2024 Blood Horse calendar absolutely free. All you have to do is go to bloodhorse.com slash HRRN. My thanks to all of our guests for helping to make this show possible here this morning, including Dale and Tim in the previous segment, Kurt Becker for his stroll through racing history, and Joe Christofek with the Twin Spires Triple Play and that wonderful emotional story from Drayden Van Dyke that you heard in our number two. If you missed any portion, head back to the website, horseracingradio.net, to listen to the podcast. You can do that anytime you have a moment, and you can do that on every podcast platform as well. For my producer, Lee Delapina, in our Lexington studio, I'm Mike Penna. And, of course, Chauncey, handling all of our social media this morning as well. Appreciate all your help there, Chauncey. I apologize to all of our listeners in Preakness country, but go Steelers. <laughs>